Business today looks nothing like it did yesterday. While it's more unpredictable, its possibilities are endless. At ADP, turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do. Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll. ADP, always designing for people. That way in the Spreaker chat, we could get Bill WD-40 to lube us up for tonight's show because you always want to go in smooth. You know what I'm saying? All right, here we go. Hi, Jen A. Nice to see you. Evan Walters, pissing me off already, buddy, and I love it. And uh, Crystal J, nice to see you. And uh, let's see who else is here. Uh, the goal should have been waved off in the game against the Americans. It was goaltender interference. Good job by the referees there. Jim Christie, how you doing, man? And uh, Robert Lamoth, good to see you. Flat Rock, Brad Ford, nice to have you here. Hi, Derek Ning, video game zombie. Adam Lakatos, how you doing, man? Donna C, looking sweet. And where are we here? We're running out of time. My gosh. Hey, Louie from uh, UAP Studies, how you doing, buddy? Uh, good to have you here. Hi, TMI Kevin, nice to see you. Melissa Nicole, thanks for coming on in. And Hilton, good to see you. And Be the Arrow, nice to have you here. Hi, Maggie M10. I'm running out of time. Lady M, how are you? Thank you for joining us. And uh, Mr. Cowley, welcome back to the show. Oh, Mr. Cowley loves his spaced out radio. Had to do it fast. Corey Cole, good to see you. Lily Pond, thanks for coming on in. Digger Dog, good to see you. Hey, guys, we got 10 seconds. We're going to have a great show tonight. Jack Roth talking about the JFK conspiracy. You know what I need right now? I need your horns up. Let's rock. From the mountains of central British Columbia to you listening around the world. This, my friends, is Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott, sitting in the captain's chair of SOR headquarters. We welcome you to tonight's show on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bubblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. Yes, we're heading down the conspiracy road tonight. Killing Kennedy. What happened to JFK? Yeah, lots of theories, but Jack Roth from J3 Films talks about his new documentary tonight, and I am excited to have him here. Then in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp with another spooky story from the Swamp Dweller. We got the Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio for the Cryptid Report, and it's Dave 101 night. We'll get to the news as well. 
All right, let's get right to it. We got a lot of show for you tonight. Jack Roth is a journalist, documentary film producer with J3 Films and a nonfiction book author. He has produced the award-winning documentary films Extraordinary, The Stan Romanek Story in 2013, Extraordinary, The Seating, and Extraordinary, The Revelations. In addition to Killing Kennedy of 2022 here, he is also the author of Ghost Soldiers of Gettysburg and Unknown Down, books that adeptly explore unexplained phenomena. Jack's work is driven by his hard, strong desire to seek the truth and share it with others, as this, he believes, will ultimately lead to the greater enlightenment and personal freedom for all humanity. And we are so glad to have this good friend of Spaced Out Radio's back on the show, Jack Roth. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. It's been way too long, but I'm so glad you're here, my man. How you doing? Thanks. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm a, really been looking forward to this. So just to chat with you and talk about this and uh, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. By the way, I'm a hockey fan, just so you know. So, uh, but I'm a New York Ranger fan. I'm from New York, so I'm oh. not a Canadian hockey fan. I know. My, my <laughs> man, you have no idea what it's like. I grew up an Oilers fan, an Edmonton Oilers fan. We should not be oh, sucking. There you go. We should not be sucking the way we do with our team. <laughs> And then to top it all off, the icing on the cake is watching my Vancouver Canucks really, really dig themselves into a a real musty hole at the near the bottom of the of the statistics. And uh, you know, as a Canucks fan, we're we're used to it, but it still hurts nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, you know, just to mention, I think the Rangers beat the Canadians tonight four to one, but that's that's on the East Coast. Don't worry about that. All right. All right. <laughs> Well, the good, the good part about it is I don't need to talk hockey here, you know, because I just I, I get too mad. I get way too mad. I really do. I find myself getting so mad I around hockey now. It's it hurts. It really hurts. The game's. I, I'm what you would consider a dinosaur of the game, a dinosaur. And and, and you know, I knowing I have these short little arms, I'd probably like a T Rex of of hockey now because Lord knows, you know, I. Well, these little penguin arms that I have just don't uh, do me justice. But nonetheless, you know, we're going to talk about this here tonight, uh, the JFK kills and, and everything that goes along with that. You have done some incredible films with J3 Films over the years. And, and you know what, before I even start that, I know Lori Wagner is listening right now, a good friend of yours, a good friend of mine. And, uh, you know, Lori has been a huge, huge supporter behind the scenes of Spaced Out Radio. I still don't know why, but uh, I'm so grateful for it. So we got to give a shout out to Lori Wagner out there in California, and, you know, trying to find some UFOs while sitting on the beach listening to us right now. That's right. Yeah, Lori's the best. She's integral to J3 Films as well. So we all love Lori. Oh, I don't blame you. I don't blame you whatsoever. You have done some incredible films with J3, including the, the extraordinary series that you guys embarked on, really getting into ET contact, which I think is phenomenal. And here you've taken a different route regarding the conspiracy of the JFK assassination, which we will get into a little bit later. Why has your company and the company you you develop these films with taken such a stance on such controversial topics like this? Well, I think from the beginning, we our goal was to make audiences think uh, and think critically 
uh, I think we're lacking in critical thinking in this country, in the world, you know, basically. So, you know, we, we just wanted to make films that ask questions, important questions, present evidence, present information, and really leave it up to the audience to decide what if this is real? You know, what if UFOs are real? What if ET abductions are real? What if this is real? Like there are so many things in the universe we just don't understand. Um, and whether it's UFOs, uh, paranormal activity, cryptids, you know, you can go on and on. And I, what we try to do is educate, inform, and get people thinking, get people to have having conversations with friends in their living room like, hey, you know, I never thought of that. I never thought that that could be possible. And you know what? I'm going to do more research. I'm going to look into this because I think most people have experiences in life that are at some point strange, paranormal, uh, extraordinary, and uh, some they need to follow their intuition and find out more, learn more. You know, that's why we're here. That's why we're on this planet. That's why we're living. We just here to learn. So that was always been our goal. We never wanted to, we don't take a stance in our films. We don't say, yes, this is, we don't force anything down anyone's throat. Uh, we just present as filmmakers, as document, documentarians and let them decide. So we just want to create compelling content. So they watch it and then, talk about it you know and that's that's our goal and and what's interesting this the the killing kennedy thing that came came about is actually it's a book but we actually we're talking about turning it into a documentary so there's there's a lot to talk about there with that i know it's a little bit off the you know so far we've done three documentaries they've all been about ufo phenomena et's et abductions uh in that realm so this is a little departure but this is a project I kind of was doing on my own, but I knew that it would eventually tie into J3 Films somehow. I'm going to ask you, and I love the fact that you you really want to try and push people's limits in their, in their way of thinking. As someone who's a part of this and somebody who has a background in journalism, what have you learned about yourself regarding these topics? Because... If you're anything like me, you paid no attention to them unless they were in a movie like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or Independence Day or something along those lines that came out in, you know, feature film. But for you, as you have enveloped yourself within this community, what have you learned about you? I think I've learned that I think I've always been open minded, but I think I've learned that even if something hasn't happened to me, I need to be in totally empathetic towards others who have had experiences that I may not have experienced. And, you know, really what I mean by that is don't judge, you know, just be like, that sounds crazy, but guess what? That person is experiencing something and we, we owe it to them as fellow humans to, take a step back and say, well, what could be happening here? And, 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 you know, really it's, it's, it's a little easier than that because there's so many people that are having these experiences and I've had experiences, uh, you know, in different, different varieties of things over the years, just doing this work. So I'm open totally. But I think as a person, I feel like I'm evolving. I feel like I'm more spiritual. I feel like I have a, a little bit better understanding of the universe, even though obviously I always have more questions than answers. 
Uh, I don't know everything. That I definitely know I've learned is that there's a lot I don't know. Uh, but I think that you also learn, what is my role in this? What, what, what's my purpose? And we learned rather quickly that our purpose was to inform, was to, was to present things to people, was to tell stories. We're storytellers. You know, documentary filmmakers, authors, we're storytellers. So we're, we know what we're good at. We know what we're not good at. So we figured let's do what we're good at, help others. And, and one of the great things that's happened with these films and the, the three films we've done so far, they've helped people. We've, we still get letters from people regarding the first one, the second one, certainly the third one. And that uh, people look, I experienced this and I've never been able to talk to anybody about it, but you guys brought it to light. And you brought it to light in a way that respects the experiencers. I would, and that's what we're all about. I would totally agree with that. And, you know, you your last one, uh, you had Geraldina Roscoe in there who is a very important person on this show with her monthly segment, The Spiritual You. You know, I want to go back to the first one for a minute because there's still a lot, you know, a lot of controversy and heat regarding Stan Romanek. We don't need to get into his personal uh, problems that he had there, but you, I felt really bad for you guys because right when you released that all hell broke loose with Romanek and, and his personal plight, you know, but the film was incredible. It was, it was pretty much every contactee's worst nightmare regarding that. And, you know, a lot of people will say near the end, Stan was full of it. He really had a, you know, seemed that because the phenomena for a lot of us stops and we don't know why, but it seemed like he wanted to stay in large and in charge within the community. And there was the famous scene of him on uh, on Skype throwing the pen up in the air and, oh, look, they just dropped a pen down on me, you know, and it really seemed to a lot of those things seemed to hit early at home, but how do you take something like that with controversy around that and still build a film as good as you guys did about his experiences? It's a great question. And it goes back to what I said earlier is we had to look at this as filmmakers. And a lot of people first were like, well, you're part of Stan's posse and you're part. No, we're not. We're not part of Stan's posse. We're, we're filmmakers documenting a man's experiences and the reason why we wanted to do the film is because at the time, this is going back, what, 10, 12, I mean, it's a while ago now, at least a decade. And we had met some of the PhDs, some of the investigators on that case, all good people. Uh, you know, Alejandro Rojas, Chuck Zukowski, uh, Claude Swanson, rest in peace. You know, these, these incredible men and women. And they, they were experiencing something incredible and when you were around this guy i mean there was stuff happening to him and there was so much evidence that was collected that we said you know what we have to it, we have to at least present it present it in a way that makes people think about again what if this is true we were never going we were never on one side or the other ever and so many people you know just because in general they think you make a movie about something that you're promoting that person or that thing I mean, if I make a movie about the Third Reich, that doesn't mean I'm a Nazi. I'm just making the movie. <laughs> you know? So, like, I, that's we Amen. we literally have to tell people that you know we're just filmmakers. We're 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 storytellers, and we we want to we want to create something that's fun to watch, compelling, educational, and that'll make you think. Now, you know, we got to know Stan, and and you know, 
listen, he'd been through hell and back several times. And, and the entire time we knew him and we're shooting this, he was being toyed with by God only knows who, uh, you know, whether it was the government or who knows. I mean, there's a lot of weird things happen while we were making this. And we had experiences ourselves. I mean, I saw a triangular shaped UFO pass over my head. It was at night. And it was at a conference I was at in Sebring with Stan and his wife at the time. And we're sitting outside. And of course, you're, you're around Stan. We're at this conference. And this triangular, sh- I've never seen a UFO before, right over our heads. And it was a triangular shaped craft. Now, whether it's military or reverse engineered, who knows? We don't know this. But there was a craft in the sky that shouldn't have been in the sky because we're not supposed to have that craft in the sky that we know of. So it was just this high strangeness. And we always knew what we wanted to do. So when the movie came out and then all that other stuff came out, we felt like we didn't, we had a, we felt like we didn't have to defend ourselves about the movie. And and I, what I tell people to this day is, People were messing with Stan's computer for a long time leading up to what happened. So when we did up more research on this, we actually added 10 minutes to the film after it happened because we felt like we had to address it. And one of the things that that the government does, if you will, the, whoever, the, whoever that government entity might be, to discredit people is that, quite frankly, they put child pornography on people's computers. And it's very effective because once it's on there, whether you're innocent or not, 50% of the people are going to think you're guilty. (laughs) So, and it's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's scary. It's scary because they could do it to anyone easily. So, and I'm not saying Stan's innocent or guilty of the things he was, you know, accused of and whatever. Um, I know his life was destroyed. I know he had been through hell and back several times. And, but, there's validity to his story. And even the researchers who distance themselves from Stan, obviously because of that, they, to this day, when we talk to them, they say, you know, Jack, John, there is no doubt about it, that there was stuff going on with him early. And especially early on that he was being abducted. I mean, there was so much stuff going on with him. It was so, it it was the, the, the the equations he was drawing in the middle of the night, there was, there was so much evidence and compelling evidence and at the end i think i think he just he he did miss the notoriety because it does stop after a while it stops and and that was it it, it seems that they abduct you over a certain period of time if you're lucky enough you meet your hybrid kids (laughs) i mean i know that sounds but it's true you'll eventually meet hybrid children that are yours right and that's what happened with him. They were communicating with him on the phone. I mean, we, we heard these calls and it was phenomenal. And so, but then they're done. They're done, right? They move on to the next person or, you know, Stan's use, whatever it was for, he's, they're done with Stan. And it was, I think it was hard for him to come to terms with that because he'd had so many people at his house, you know, just doing all this research and then it all stopped. So you say people are their own worst enemies. Uh, and I have a soft spot for Stan because there was a really nice guy there. And, and, you know, again, he was his own worst enemy sometimes, but I do believe that the story is true. 
And there might have been a couple things. I mean, it was wasn't it so obvious that he threw the pen in the air? Why did he do that? I asked him, and he said he was threatened that if he didn't he he didn't do something like that, someone close to him was going to die. Now that's what he says. But the, isn't it? It was so obvious and so stupid that it, it just almost seemed like he wanted to at that point call himself out, get caught in something that was so stupid. You know, oh, look, the pen, and he flips the pen in the air. It's almost comical, right? So, but again, you know, listen, our our job was to make a film. That was our goal. We wanted to make a compelling film. We wanted to share the evidence. That was the big thing with Stan's story, as you know. There was so much evidence there. And then let people decide for themselves. That, that's it. That's all we could do as filmmakers. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. And I, I think you described that perfectly. And, you know, I know... I believed the alien at the window film because I've had that happen to me, you know, and when you have an alien at your window and mine was only for a brief couple of seconds and that's how the legend of Carl got made. Okay. It, it messes with you. It messes with you big time when you have that experience or like you said, people meeting their hybrid children. I mean, (laughs) It's it's a hard reality that isn't supposed to exist. With three minutes to go here before we go to break, you've learned a lot about what shouldn't exist but is happening to people on a daily basis. How have you transcribed this into your new reality? Well, I I think that for me, the universe is an extraordinary place. It's a magical place. The fact that there's life on other planets is not something that's even debatable anymore. We know there's life on other planets. I think the big question is now, how do they get here? Is it interdimensional? Is it technology? But I feel a lot of people now are just, it's become so obvious, you know, unless they're totally buying into the cover-up of it. Uh, But I I feel like, again, you know, it's open-mindedness about the, the... the incredible nature of the universe. Businesses need to think beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business find more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll, ADP, always designing for people. Business today looks nothing like it did yesterday. While it's more unpredictable, its possibilities are endless. At ADP, turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do. Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll. ADP, always designing for people. What's out there, you know, and when you, when you really, when you realize that, life becomes even more amazing. It really does. And I, and, and, and I, we can't be scared. We got to, we got to forge forward, I think with this. And I think it's kind of like Star Trek to boldly go, right? Because if we're going to ever be galactic citizens one day and really be out there with these other ETs, well, first of all, we have to start behaving better <laughs> right? and not always threatening to blow ourselves up because that's not going to get us anywhere. But we just have to learn that we're evolving. And, and I think it's part of our evolution. And I think eventually we're going to be part of that galactic neighborhood and we're going to be a part of it if we can if we can get past ourselves. Two minutes to go. What, what's the thrill 
as a filmmaker, as a journalist, of chasing down these mysteries. I mean, you got a great job. You got a job that a lot of people would want, man. It took a while. I mean, it's not something you come out of college and get a job doing. So I basically had to just do the, you know, I just wanted to become a better writer, a better storyteller. And I did that for almost 20 years before we started doing this. So um, you, it's awesome. I mean, it's amazing because it's, and for people like us who are critical thinkers, again, I go back to the critical thinking, free thinking. What, how could you not want to know if we're alone or not alone in the universe? How could you not? want to know if consciousness survives death. These are the most important questions in humanity. And for someone like me, I just, I have to know, I have to at least search for the truth, <laughs> you know, and that to me is the most exhilarating thing. And then the experiences you have along the way, the journey is amazing. Amazing. If you have good intentions, it's going to be an amazing journey for you. I agree with you. And, and you know, I love the fact that you say keep an open mind, you know, because one of our mottos here at Space Out Radio is, you know, and we just added a brand new radio station in Vernal, Utah, uh, Channel 94X. And thank you, Charlie, there for becoming part of our family. But, you know, the one thing I always tell people about this show is, remember, you've never stepped in someone else's shoes. You haven't lived their experiences. So even though you may not believe them, Cut them some slack. You're going to be able to know what is real and what is fake. Okay. And if you don't believe them, that that's your, you're allowed to not believe them, but at least give them the respect and decency that they have taken their time to come to you to speak about what's happened to them. And so many times that is difficult for people to understand these days because of the way society has become. We have to have a hard opinion on everything, whereas this subject still requires nursery gloves but uh, jack i'm gonna get you to hold on right there jack roth from j3 films he's got a brand new film out on jfk called killing kennedy exposing the plot we're gonna get into that and more when we return from the break right after this stay tuned spaced out radio continues right after this Brilliantly said, by the way, about Stan. Brilliantly said. Thank you. I felt. I appreciate for, that. I felt for you guys on that one, and I think a lot of people who know you guys within the community felt for you too. I mean, you're just dropping the movie and bang, I'm like oh, you guys, <laughs> right. you guys. Did you guys at any time think of pulling the movie? No, the only thing we thought of is put, adding the 10 minutes we added at the end because we had to talk about what happened. We had to mention it. And at the time, we of course, up until then, we, we hadn't because we didn't know about it. So we had to address it. And so we, again, presented it as best we could because we had to kind of just add it to the end. We used a lot of just you know scroll and all that. But we also did a little research on the idea that there's other other people who were trying to expose truth in one way, shape, or form all of a sudden found this child pornography on their computer. Uh, a lot of times whistleblowers find that. on the, And then, the, you know, it's, it's the easiest way in the world to discredit someone. Easiest. But, he, so, but he, is, uh, is Stan still in jail for that or no? 
No, I, I don't. I'm almost positive he's not. He, he didn't spend too much time in jail, and he came out. But the damage had been done. So you know, and so many people just who were in his corner left that corner. They they distanced themselves. Now for us, again, we were just the filmmakers. But got to be honest with you, it didn't hurt us. We got a lot of people that gave reviews like, I can't believe, you know, they were talking about hating Stan, not hating the movie. Right. You see what I mean? So it was like the movie was interesting, but they just hated Stan and didn't believe a word he said. But that, if you really watch the film, you know, you're going to be like, wow, okay. We, We can't decide, we can't choose who's abducted or not. In other words, if we were to say who's the perfect abductee, well, Gandhi, because he's credible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, the most ups, Mother Teresa, because she's unimpeachable, right? And because they're the, you know, they're, they're the most upstanding human beings. But we can't choose who's abducted, you know? And, and I tell people whether or not, even whether or not he, you know, had that stuff on his computer, that has nothing to do with whether or not he was abducted. <laughs> so, oh, like, you know, I, I and agree. I know that's a, and that's why, I, <laughs> you know. but you know what? That's why I still bring up, you know, the 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 video that he got of the gray in the window, because yeah. if I hadn't experienced that myself, I probably wouldn't have believed it. You know, and and yeah, I, because I, it's too inc- it's right. And I remember hosting this show. It was April twentieth, twenty fifteen, <laughs> at ten seventeen p.m. All right, Harvey Kraft, wow. Harvey Kraft, a guy on. On Buddha was my topic of the night my and my guest for that night. And I saw something move out the window. And I turn a, a couple seconds later after I realize it's, this is weird. My dogs aren't barking at the front door. I turn and look and there's a giant gray head on the other side of the window staring back at me. And uh, like immediately I'm like, okay. Like I did what any man would do. I screamed like a banshee and nearly fell out of my chair. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? That's exactly what I would have done. Right. Oh, yeah. You scream. You just terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It goes back to it happens to you when it happens to you. Yes. You, you know, right. It's like, okay. Yep. <laughs> you know, and but sometimes, unfortunately, until it happens to certain people, they are going to rip anyone it would happens to. So, are you still on the West Coast, or are you out east now? Uh, well, I'm out. I'm east. I yeah. I live in Florida. That's right. Uh, and then we're all over. You know, obviously, Laura's in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jamie, one of our other partners, is in New York, and John's in New Zealand right now. So he's doing some traveling, uh, uh, digital nomading with his wife because they they can work remotely. Right. So they're traveling. So, yeah, yeah, no, because I know Lori is uh, is coming to our fan party in Las Vegas in May. Oh, awesome! Yeah, okay, we're, yeah, we're having our second annual fan party in Las Vegas, May nineteenth through twenty first. So I was going to say, if you're on the oh, West Coast, okay. you should join us. No, I could always fly out and meet Lori and sure you know we always we try to do stuff like that you know oh absolutely uh, it seems like it seems like a lot of this stuff happens west of the Mississippi uh <laughs> so being on the east coast it's always you know there's always either California Colorado New Mexico yeah. Vegas you know 
Oh, I, I hear you. Hey, I'm going to get you to hold on right there. Thank you to our super chatters tonight. Simon, Nero, uh, Louie, Susie, Jeremy, Greg, Vaughn, Pam, Simon again, and Maggie. Here we go the second half hour. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on tonight with our good friend Jack Roth from J3 Films as he is continuing on with another major documentary. This one is called Killing Kennedy as we go down the JFK Road. Killing Kennedy, exposing the plot, and they've gone deep, they've gone dark, and they're trying to figure out this ultimate mystery. Jack, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There have been hundreds of documentaries about JFK over the years, in the last 50-some years, coming up 60 years, that uh, since his murder. Why continue this? Why continue to go down the yellow brick road hoping to find something different? Business today looks nothing like it did yesterday. While it's more unpredictable, its possibilities are endless. At ADP, turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do. Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, Benefits, payroll, ADP, always designing for people. Businesses need to think beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business find more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll, ADP, always designing for people. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, just to to verify, though, the, the Killing Kennedy is actually a book that we are seriously considering turning into a documentary. So it, right now it's a book. Okay. And it's something that, yeah, so it's something that I decided on my own. You know, we always talk about projects and how they can kind of tie into some of the things we're doing. And I had just always been fascinated with the Kennedy assassination. And I wanted, as a journalist, as a writer, I wanted to write a book about it. But I never knew what I could write about. And... As you said, thousands of books, documentaries is so much, right? We're 60 years later at this point. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he's like, he asked me a really important question. He goes, what could you write about the Kennedy assassination that's unique, that hasn't already been written? And I'm like, you know what? That's a great question. What can I do? So I started to think about it and we started tossing phrases around like ripple effects, uh, the cost of conspiracy, 
present day relevance. So there was, to me, the ripple effects of the assassination are still affecting this country. And it's important for young people to understand what happened 60 years ago. So, but what I thought is, well, what can I do here? And I was thinking ahead. So I said, well, as a writer, I can, I can interview. I know I'm good at interviewing people. That's what I do. So I'm like, I'm going to find the perfect people to interview, the right people to interview. And I'm going to create and craft a book that's every chapter is an interview. And the interviewees would be researchers, historians, uh, uh, people who were eyewitnesses, uh, people who uh, there's a there's a part in the book that's called my father was in the CIA. And basically it's four chapters of people whose fathers were in the CIA at the time of the assassination. <laughs> so I, I, I got I got really fortunate at being able to interview some amazing people for the book. There's 24 chapters, 24 interviews. And I also got real lucky getting Cyril Weck to write the uh, forward. And I was, that was a coup. I couldn't believe I got him to do it. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's a great idea. So I wanted to create something, again, that was a little different, but that had modern relevance to the assassination. And, and I also thought if I do the book and the book is published, it's going to open up opportunities for us to perhaps do a documentary on it or a part of it. There are 24 amazing interviews in the book. At least three of those people are worthy of a documentary, and we're actually developing a documentary based on one of the chapters of my book, a, a, a man by the name of Peter Janney that I, re- that I interviewed, and he wrote a book. So the doc- and he gave us the rights to, for, to the book for the documentary. So now we're developing that. We're creating a sizzle reel. It's a, his book's called Mary's Mosaic, and he talks about Mary Pinchot Meyer and, and the, how she died mysteriously and she was Kennedy's lover. Blah, blah, blah. It's an amazing story. But I knew and I told everyone at J3, I'm like, you know, listen, I'm going to write this book and I guarantee you it's going to open up some doors for us with some other possibilities. And they all agreed. So I started the process. I kind of started when COVID hit. So it was kind of the timing was that I was home and I was just interviewing all these people like we're talking now. So I wasn't in person, but I w- we were, you know, doing it like this. So the goal of the book, again, when I started was to present, document these interviews, but that the questions would be different depending on who I was talking to, but the same. There were some questions that I asked everyone, and those questions are what would have been the ripple effects of the assassination. What should young people know about the assassination? You know, those kinds of questions that were all like the overriding kind of themes of the book. And then the other questions were based on their expertise, whether they were researchers uh, researching a particular area and or whether they were someone who knew Oswald or someone who, you know, whoever it might be. And it turned out I couldn't have asked for more with the way it turned out because it really just came together really well. And I think it's because of the people I interviewed, it all just came into place. Incredible. Incredible. So what were you trying to search for? What what was the message that you were trying to find? 
I was trying to, it was a couple things. Uh, my interest started when I was old enough to realize that when Jack Ruby shot Lee Harvey Oswald, there was a real conspiracy. So to me, that's all I needed to know, right? Critical thinker. Really? Jack Ruby walks into a police station, right? There's 80 cops there, and he just shoots Oswald. Cause, so there's no trial. Oswald doesn't have his day in court. Oswald can't speak for himself. That's it. And to me, that was the, it, I knew there was a conspiracy. And so, and then of course, in 1991, like a lot of us, we watched Oliver Stone's JFK and that got us thinking. And it's the same Oliver Stone. I, I so appreciate him for that because he got people thinking, you know, it's like people's like, well, he was all over the place with that film. No, he was presenting everything. So you could go out and do your own research. So I just read a lot. I read tons on the Kennedy assassination. And it got to the point where what I wanted to accomplish is a couple things. One, uh, try to maintain interest in the assassination by being relevant. Again, that modern relevance. That why is it still important today? Because people are like, well, it happened 60 years ago. Who cares? Well, you should care very much because everything changed that day. And what I tell people is, in 1963, there was this sense of American exceptionalism. It was actually a thing, American exceptionalism. We were the best in the world at everything. We were the heroes of World War II. We had this incredible booming economy. We had this you know, beautiful, everything was great about America. Well, the minute Kennedy was killed, that American exceptionalism began to erode. And it eroded slowly but surely. And, you know, we we went from Kennedy to Lyndon Johnson, right, and then Richard Nixon. And it just it was one disaster after another, Vietnam. It, it, the 60s was a disaster after that. Uh, that's, you know, the, the start of the counterculture movement started because people were so tired of authority. They didn't believe them anymore. They didn't believe in the institutions that our parents believed in and their parents believed in. So what I wanted to do is 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 I also wanted to personalize the Kennedy assassination by talking to people who had a stake in it, either by spending years of their lives researching it or having experienced something related to it or having had a father in the CIA, which was very damaging to those families. I mean, those are some of the most interesting chapters. But what I wanted to do in every one of the interviews, what amazed me, Dave, was that they, everyone was so emotional. And 60 years later, this is something that's still so emotional because people feel duped. You know, they feel insulted. They feel like, come on, really? We're, good? We're still going to believe the Warren Commission? And even though I didn't go into it trying to, I wasn't going to make any real determinations at the end. I do have a conclusion chapter and I do talk about some things that I think, but it's more about getting people interested in, and, and making people realize that it still matters very much. The, and I can understand why, because there, this was really one of the big things in media. It happened on live television. You know, I mean, it happened, yep. it happened what with thousands of people lined up. I mean, I can understand, 
you know, where that would be. I mean, up here in Canada, it's a little bit different because I don't think we hold the, the same respect for our politicians as, say, we do our hockey players who are revered. You know, and I'm not even joking about that. I, I mean, I think, you know, I remember when uh, when Rocket Richard passed away a number of years ago. I mean, Montreal was shut down and the entire the entire country, you know, was was in mourning, you know, and, and it'll be the same thing when when Wayne Gretzky passes away. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to belittle the Kennedy assassination. Please don't think that whatsoever. But it's hard to fathom that, you know, 60 years later, there are still so many millions of Americans who haven't let go. Because does that have anything to do, and pardon my ignorance being Canadian on this, but does that have to do with the fact that that really was the start of a very tumultuous anger-filled decade with the Vietnam War, the protesters, racism, everything that went along with it. Yeah, that was a big part of it. And it's interesting. What I think is really interesting is that, you know, you're in Canada. So I think what happened at first was that Americans didn't want to believe that their government could be involved in something, a coup or something to that effect, uh, you know, some kind of conspiracy to kill the president. And, but what's funny is people from other countries, apparently at the time, they knew there was something rotten in the state of Denmark. They knew something was a foul. And they, they were laughing at us because we were so naive. Like we just accepted things. So I think what's happened over the years is from the beginning, there were people who were like, this is nonsense. This isn't right. There's something going on here. Business today looks nothing like it did yesterday. While it's more unpredictable, its possibilities are endless. At ADP, turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do. Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll, ADP, always designing for people. Is your 2023 starting without a bang? You are not alone. This year, millions will be diagnosed with low energy. But Planet Fitness has the cure. Boost your energy with tons of equipment in our clean and spacious clubs for $1 down and $10 a month. No commitment. Cancel any time. It's January 12th. See Home Club for details. Uh, there's something more to this. And, you know, and the fact that was, well, whether Oswald acted alone or whether he acted at all, and that became a big part of the book for me because I, the stuff I started to find out really, it, it became one of the key themes of the book. And but no, I think that I, I think that first of all, it happened in this country, so it affected our politics. It affected the future every every day thereafter of our country, where we lost. We lost something very important that day. And people say we lost innocence. It's not so much we lost innocence. We lost truth. We realized then and there that the government, there was some, some, such obvious things going on where they were covering something up. And again, people who were free thinkers, critical thinkers, weren't going to stand for that. And you know there, was, there wasn't much, much you could do. There's not much you could do today. People are trying to get documents, but you know, at this point, all those people are long dead. So it's not like someone's going to go to jail for this. You know, it's like basically an unsolved murder, but it's cold case. But the bottom line is, it changed the course of this country. 
And it's sad and it's scary because we were manipulated. Uh, the media was manipulated. Um, and it just makes you realize that government, government is not father. Government is not there to protect you and coddle you. Government is government's doing what they need to do. To, and, and people in government are doing what they need to, to, to do to maintain power. It's all about power and control. And when you realize what was going on in the Cold War, that's very, very important as well. People ask me who killed Kennedy after doing all this research and interviewing all these people. And the only thing I'll say is two things. I'll say the Cold War and its Cold Warriors killed Kennedy. And it was the times in which Kennedy governed that got him killed. And then I'll also say, I know who didn't kill him, and that was Lee Harvey Oswald. I think that's what I love. That's those. <laughs> I think we all know that Lee Harvey Oswald was the patsy in all of this and had to uh, pay for it with his life. Was he a part of the original setup? Yeah, that's one of the interesting things that I learned. And, and, and a lot of people. So you have Oswald. There's there's almost no question about the fact that Oswald was a intelligence operative. He worked for the CIA. He did work for the CIA. He was originally in naval intelligence. When he was in the Marines, that's how they, he started to groom him in the intelligence world. And he was a good operative. He was he he knew spycraft and he also was a good soldier. He did whatever he was told and he was low level. So if they gave him orders, he, he did what he was told to do. So he was and the CIA was using him. This, and, and one of the sections of the book is called New Orleans, summer 63. If you look at what was going on in New Orleans in the summer of 63, leading up to the fall of 63, which is when Kennedy was killed in Dallas, New Orleans was a hotbed of intelligence activity. There was stuff going on in New Orleans that would blow your mind if you knew. I mean, I, I couldn't believe this, the, the, when the people I interviewed and, the, and some of the things they were telling me, but it's all true. It's all there to, for people to see. But Oswald... So Oswald was just, if he's told to hand out pro-Castro leaflets on the corner of Canal Street, he's going to do it. And then if he's told to, you know, do something in anti-Castro way, he's going to do it. He's going to go where they tell him to go. A couple of months before the assassination, he leaves New Orleans. He's told to go to Dallas, and he's given a job at the Texas School Book Depository. He's a CIA operative. He knows something's up. But And he starts to – he thinks he's infiltrating the Cuban exile community because they're saying, you know, just get in with these guys. Find out what's going on. But what's happening is he starts to realize that there's going to be, an, there's going to be a, a, a threat. There's a threat to Kennedy, right, and that they're going to try to do something when he's there. What, what's fascinating about this is that Oswald – Kennedy was going to do a motorcade in Chicago – an FBI agent in Chicago got a call from a Lee telling him, an operative, telling him that there was going to be an assassination attempt. They canceled Kennedy's they 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 canceled Kennedy's motorcade. He never did go to Chicago. And when he was going to come to Dallas. Oswald, again, went to the FBI headquarters in Dallas and gave Agent Hosty 
that was, you know, the, the name of the agent gave him a note saying there's going to be an attempt on Kennedy's life. Hosty gave it to someone else and they threw it out. They ripped it up because he was already being, they, he, they already knew he was being sheep dipped and being set up to be the patsy. Oswald thought he was there to abort. It was like an abort team that they were going to help save. They were going to stop an assassination. So Oswald's told to do all these things. There's other interviews that I do in the book where the fathers in the CIA, they were told to do certain things that day. You're going to be, you're going to stand here and just take photos. You're going to do this. They told a bunch of people do this, do that, but no one knew exactly what they were really doing. And that's for a reason. So Oswald is working at the school book depository. He's given a job there. And then all of a sudden he's actually, there's, there's a photo Many people, many people believe is him watching the motorcade pass by. So instead of being on the sixth floor shooting him, he's actually on the ground floor in front of the building watching the motorcade. There's a lot of controversy on that. But the bottom line is Oswald, I think what happened is realizes, he realizes he's a patsy. He's be, this is not good for him. He leaves the book, the school book depository. He goes back to his boarding house. He gets his, a gun I think what happens is he calls his CIA handler. The CIA handler tells him to meet him at the Texas theater. Oswald goes to the Texas theater. They didn't even, they're not even arresting Oswald for the murder of the president, but dozens of police officers and agents and, uh, you know, uh, detectives show up at the Texas, at the, at the, uh, the, the Texas theater and arrest Oswald. It was all a setup. They arrest him. They take him in. They have a 13-hour interview where they throw out the notes from the interview. And this is and he still doesn't have an attorney. No one's representing him. And then two days later, before they go to trial, enter Jack Ruby, takes him out. So they they Oswald can never talk about it. So, but there's so much, there's so much, there's a woman in, 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 in that I interviewed for the book who knew Oswald in New Orleans and was his mistress is because he was married and so was she and they had an affair. They fell in love and she was working uh, in the medical field. She was working on cancer, curing cancer. At least she thought she was, but all these things, Oswald was also doing CIA, whatever the, again, he was an operative. So if he's told to go. He was told to go to David Ferry's apartment. You, you, people know these names from like the, the, the movie JFK. People know J- David Ferry was a character in this. There were a lot of New Orleans characters that were associated with this in one way, shape, or form. But again, this goes back to what was going on in New Orleans at the time. And there was a lot more going on in New Orleans than people realize. So I think if you really do the research and you really think critically about everything, including the Warren Commission and what the, what the, the mainstream media failed to do, all these things, you come to the conclusion that there was most certainly a conspiracy. It was more than one person involved. That's all it takes. So that's a conspiracy. And there was most certainly a cover-up because they couldn't they, – no one could ever find out about this. It's been 60 years and they're still covering it up. Who are they protecting? And people ask me that and I say, they're protecting the institutions. The people are dead, but the CIA is still there. So they're protecting the institutions. And you're right about that because, you know, President Trump during his tenure had talked about releasing the JFK files because 
they the statute of limitations was up and it seemed really gung ho that he was going to open them up and then all of a sudden nothing it kind of went to the right. side they never do they never do and and so much of it was redacted and and right. you know i mean they might as well have just uh, had the the report sponsored by sharpie you know I mean, yeah, exactly. The whole thing. Yeah, the, basically the whole page is black, but, but like three words. Right. You know, right. But- it's a joke. It's an insult to our intelligence, but yet people still buy it. Why would why would they still do this? Why? And they say national security, national security from 1963. Really? That's it's nonsense. Do you think they're protecting? They're still covering with one minute to go. Do you think there is a time whether it's another 50 years or 40 years or 100, 200 years from now, the truth will finally be let out? The truth may finally come out, but the government's not going to let it out. I honestly, and people, they get bummed at me because I'm like negative, but I don't think the government's ever going to, the truth will never come out, not by them. So it's going to be citizen researchers. It's going to be the citizens that have to do the work. Freedom of Information Act, getting getting these files right and not redacted either so i just don't know if it's ever going to come out i don't i really don't no very much very much i mean i i hope it does i think the american citizen needs to know the sad part about it is the majority of people if not all the people by the time it does come out will have been long gone right and yeah. and we're talking we're yep. talking grandkids and great grandkids and great grand or great great grandkids generations before we may even see a shred of hope in this. You know, right? I'm going to get you to hold on right there, Jack, because we are going to go to break here at the top of the hour. Killing Kennedy is what we're talking about. New book by Jack Roth. We're talking more about the assassination of John F. Kennedy when we return on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. All right, we are clear. We've got about six minutes here. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to turn things over to Dirty Filth here so we can learn about uh, what he is creating tonight. It's uh, orchestra practice on the grassy knoll. Oh, nice. (laughs) Very nice. I'll be right back. The man in black. Ink gets on it and everything. Yeah, there I am. I'll be right back. Okay. Dave's got to go let the dog man out and the Sasquatch. What's that? He's got to go let the Sasquatch and dog man out. <laughs> that's funny. That's awesome, man. That's that's so cool that you do this as the show goes on. Yeah, it's, you know what? I don't ever get to, I've actually like went back and watched a couple times myself drawing. It just, it is kind of neato to watch it because I don't really notice it as I'm doing it, but it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. I enjoy doing it. Yeah. Hey, listen to the show. I, you, I was drawing cartoons anyways while listening to the show and Dave and his big brain and the brains that be are 
hey, you want to come draw cartoons on the show? Okay, why not? I think it's a great idea. It works out You know, good. to just have that visual, you know, and just, I think it's awesome. Except all the, all the folks in the radio should come watch it on YouTube. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm always confused as to how that works because different shows are different, right? I mean, the way that they're, where they show up eventually and how that, you know, it's radio, then it's YouTube, you yeah, know, live radio. I don't do any of that technical stuff. I'm not really good at computers. <laughs> I know where Minesweeper is, and that's about it. <laughs> Minesweeper, that's awesome. Actually, I don't but yeah. Same with just just art. I've, I went to school for animation, and I, I, and I ended up all like 3D animation and everything like that, and I just couldn't get the grasp on it, so I quit, and then I decided to draw cartoons. And that worked out a little bit better for me. Oh, good for but you. But if I would have never went to animation school, I would never have met all the people and had the experiences that I did. And it was definitely worth it. So there was nothing lost in it at all. There's just never. Nice stepping always, stone. Yeah, you're always learning skill sets, right? And you just don't realize it. And you just like, it's all part of the journey. So, you know, and, and it's good for you for like, for, as, a, as a fellow creative we just can't give up. Like you just got to keep going, keep pushing ahead. You know, definitely. I I felt kind of bad at the beginning because when I knew I wouldn't be able to do 3D animation, and I spent all this time, and I moved to Vancouver and all this junk to to just like quit basically, and I had to accept the fact that's what I was doing. And I I, I was kind of upset. I moved back to my home, and but then I just kind of found myself drawing cartoons, and I was happy with it. And it just kind of evolved from there. And I eventually grew to be okay with my decisions. Right. No, good. And you got, you know, you feel when you're on purpose, you know it, right? So it's good. Definitely. Yeah. You're doing what you love. So, I mean, even, and, and there's different ways to do it. You know, like you say, you, even with me, I can write a book, I can write an article, I can make a documentary, you know, you can do cartoons, you can do, I have a buddy who, uh, does animation he went he actually went to ringling school down here in florida in st pete uh and he learned that and he was an he's an artist an illustrator um we actually have used him in some of our documentaries uh he does he's done some of the illustrations and um now he's doing he's freelancing but he's in new york and he's uh he's freelancing he's working on the new uh he updated uh the, the new spongebob so uh, but his real love is is drawing. It's illustration. I always like drawing. I had a, we had a guest on the show and kind of kicked my butt into gear. And he mentioned, you know, dirty filth. You should go do some life drawing classes. So I went back. I've been doing them. Well, not the last little while because of Christmas and everything. But I've been doing them. And uh, I forgot how much I actually enjoyed life drawing. It's a stark difference from cartoons. But it actually helps me with my cartoons. So it was just kind of nice to get a kick in the rump roast and set me in another good direction. Right. No, that's great. You having fun, Jack? I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Don't feel free to go any direction you want to go. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get into it. We're going to get into it, uh, uh, quite a bit here. So, uh, don't you worry about that. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry that I, you know, I feel like um, I had sent a bunch of stuff, and I sent like a one sheet, a one pager that kind yeah, of explained I got it. I got the right book. Here. Okay, all right, good. So you know, I just I should have sent. Sometimes I think some people don't ask for it, but I have no problem actually sending the book ahead of time. Yeah. Just, not for people to actually read the whole thing, but just so they have it. You know. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I got I got you covered. I got you covered. Okay. I'm a, I'm a professional. Okay. I'm a total professional. Hey, you rock. And I'll tell you something else, man. Your voice is perfect. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that the bookings guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hold on one second here, guys. I want to say thank you to Simon, Nero, Louis, Susie, Jeremy, Greg, Vaughn, Pam S, Simon again, and Maggie for the super chats. It's a wonderful way to support what we do here on SOR on a nightly radio night here. Here we go, everyone, with hour two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, at KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight. In the SOR Space Travelers Club. Yeah. Yeah is your password. Use it wisely, Space Travelers, as the Clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go, hour number two, talking about the conspiracy regarding the passing of John F. Kennedy, author, journalist, documentarian Jack Roth of J3 Films is here. He's got a book out, JFK Assassination, or pardon me, Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot. And earlier, right before the break, we were talking about, uh, you know, the conspiracy behind this and everything that kind of went along with the setup. And, and you know, it's always interesting to kind of put the puzzle pieces together, Jack, as we welcome you back in here. And, you know, as you were putting the puzzle pieces together, you know, whether it's Lee Harvey Oswald, whether it's Jack Ruby, whether it's, you know, the CIA, the mafia, the government who is doing this or did this, pardon me, where does it all lead to for you? Was it one organization that took care of this or was it numerous coming together? Yeah, it's 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 complicated from the standpoint that again you have to understand the times. You have to understand we were in the midst of the Cold War. We were only a very short period of time from the Cuban Missile Crisis, so we were in the thick. And then the Bay of Pigs. This was all under Kennedy, so he was dealing with. He walked into a, a, a I like to say, a, a, you know, a Viper's den, because. Here's what, here's what was happening in the early 60s. You had the CIA, and the CIA at that point in time 
had carte blanche to basically do whatever they wanted to do. There was no oversight. They did what the, now the CIA is supposed to gather foreign intelligence. That's what the CIA is supposed to gather foreign intelligence. Well, it was, but it was also assassinating foreign leaders, um, manipulating elections in other countries, uh, helping to uh, coup d'etats. So you have Guatemala. Business today looks nothing like it did yesterday. While it's more unpredictable, its possibilities are endless. At ADP, turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do. Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll. ADP, always designing for people. At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. It's a primal, wild freedom. A feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. Hmm, no. You know, we really lost a stride at the end there. Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive, America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. This goes back, Panama. It goes back to the 50s. It's like right after World War, World War II. So they were, there were, there were coup d'etats that were helped by the CIA. They were urged by the CIA. So they were doing these things in other countries that they weren't supposed to do. And it was all for power. It was all for their, you know, we have to defeat the Red Menace. This is what happened, okay, if I may, just to give a brief overview of the timeline. World War II ends. Before World War II ends, we know we're going to defeat the Nazis. The new enemy is already communism. It's Russia, but it's, it's communism. A lot of American elites... And this is what this all comes down to. Alan Dulles, John Foster Dulles. Uh, I say Rockefeller, but listen, it's elites, captains of industry, people who are in very powerful position, all Ivy League educated, all brought up with an elitist attitude. And the, that elitist attitude is we were meant to rule over others. We're better than others. We're more educated than others. So there's an expectation that we will rule over others and have power over others. It's elitist. That's what an elitist thinks. You have these men. They, they go through World War II. The OSS is the predecessor to the CIA. So it's the OSS during World War II. Before the war is over, a lot of these very powerful American elites are literally knowing that they're going to be helping Nazis. It's Operation Paperclip. So they're helping Nazi scientists get out of Germany. They're, we're trying to grab them. Russia's trying to grab them. But people think it's just Werner von Braun. Oh, yeah, the space program. We got the Nazi scientists. It's way deeper than that. We were helping tens of thousands along with the Vatican, okay, get Nazis out of Germany through Italy down through to South America, to Argentina. We were helping 
Nazi party members get out of, out of there and actually move to places like Detroit where they, they hid for the dozens of they, – they lived for decades. No one knew they were Nazis. Some were Nazi war criminals. And here's why. Alan Dulles – and I mentioned Alan Dulles because he was the head of the CIA when Kennedy took office. Uh, people like Herbert Hoover, uh, uh, Henry Ford, Rockefeller – all these people, the Bush family, right? George Bush Sr., that his family goes, they, they, his father was actually helping the Nazis. They were funding Nazis in 1930s leading up to the war. These American elitists, they kind of had no problem with Nazis. Now, there was the war, and we had to get rid of Hitler. But they were anti-Semitic. They were elitist. They kind of liked the way the Nazis did business, so, and this is something that's very difficult for people to come to terms with, but it's part of our country. It's part of our, it's part of the history, part of our history. It's an ugly history. So, it's an ugly, ugly history. And Alan Dulles was in charge of Operation Paperclip, and he was in charge of getting all these Nazis out of Germany. So, the focus immediately goes from that to oh, the communist threat, right? That's the big threat. They are doing what any means to an end to achieve their goals. And, and they are literally, they're killing democratically elected leaders in other countries. The Congo, Guatemala, you see it. And it's all for their own purposes to maintain power. Okay. This included the oil magnets as well. And a lot of them lived in Texas. Okay. Dallas especially, which is just, it's ironic, but very powerful people. Alan Dulles recruited, when he recruited for the CIA, recruited almost exclusively from Ivy League schools, Yale, Harvard especially. Societies, not secret societies, but societies within these places, Yale, like Skull and Bones, which we know exists. George Bush, there's a lot of people that Big time, very powerful people who were in Skull and Bones. It's all part of that conditioning. It's all part of that. Without us, the people are lost. We have to lead them. We have to control everything. And then the power that goes to their head. And this is human. This is humanity. This is the human condition. In comes Kennedy. Kennedy comes in in 60. All this stuff's going down in Cuba. Kennedy realizes after the Cuban Missile Crisis that we're all going to die. Like there's going to be millions of people that are going to, it's nuclear war. We were this close. He reaches out to Khrushchev and starts to develop a relationship with Khrushchev separate from his joint chiefs of staff. Right? So now, and he, he fires Alan Dulles because Alan Dulles lied to him about the Bay of Pigs. He gets, he's going to, Splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces. He's going to, he, he, there was a memo that came out. He wanted everyone out of Vietnam by the end of 1965, all U.S. personnel out of Vietnam by the end of 1965. Well, guess what? This, it, it, this didn't sit well with the elitists, the, the power, the real power brokers. And I think Kennedy underestimated the power of these people. Kennedy thought, I'm president. My family's powerful. Robert's the, you know, I got him in here, so he's going to be my right-hand man, right? You know, he's going to be the attorney general. 
they kind of shot themselves in the foot because what did they do after the mob helped Kennedy get elected? Robert Kennedy's going after all the mobsters. So when people say was the mob involved, the mob was happy to be involved in any way the CIA told them to be involved because the CIA was working hand in hand with the mafia at that time during those years because they would hire them as subcontractors to do hits. Eliminate people. So you have the CIA, and, and I say not the entire CIA, meaning not every person who worked for the CIA. Very few people knew. It was only very top levels of, and it's need to know, right? So the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Curtis LeMay, hated Kennedy. Herbert Hoover, okay? I'm sorry, J. Edgar Hoover. Kennedy was going to force him to retire from the FBI. He was like a, you know, he's like the sacred cow. But Kennedy's trying to get rid of all these sacred cows. He wants to change things. He does. He wants to change things for the better. He's working towards peace. These men want war because war is power and war is also money. And the fact that Kennedy wanted to get out of Vietnam was unacceptable. Okay, so there were many things going against Kennedy. At some point, what I believe happened and in, in, in a room somewhere, maybe it was John Rockefeller, may, and maybe he's sitting there with a Texas, huge Texas oil guy, Clint Murchison. They're all friends. They all knew each other, all these people. We got to get rid of this guy because he's going to win the next election in 64. The people love him. They love Ken, the Kennedys. And if Kennedy wins in 64, Robert wins in 68 and 72, that's 16 years of the Kennedys. That's unacceptable to these guys. And I think what happened is that, and they were so good at what they did. So they knew how to get rid of people. They, they were practicing Operation Mongoose was trying to, it was trying to get rid of, it was all in getting back into Cuba to eliminate Castro. They were trying to assassinate Castro 11 days to Sunday, 11 ways to Sunday. They, that's all they were, that they, they were, they were obsessed with killing Castro because he was, you know, he made them look bad is what Castro did. So they knew how to make this work. There was also something called, uh, there were a couple of other, what I call CIA programs. There was obviously Operation Paperclip. And there was uh, also op, you know, MK Ultra, which we know now is, is real. And that was a like psyops, right? It was psychological warfare, uh, you know, using LSD to see how it would affect people, you know, creating better soldiers, creating better killers, being able to manipulate people. So they were doing all these things. And one of the things that they did was they wanted to infiltrate the mainstream media. And that was important. That was key because if they can make, they, once they infiltrated the mainstream media, the New York Times, Washington Post, they all went right along with the official narrative of the Kennedy assassination. They never questioned anything. And so they had everything in place that they knew they could get rid of Kennedy have enough confusion surrounding it, then the, have people in the right place to cover certain things up, whether it's the autopsy or the, you know certain elements along the way. There's a Pruder film. Everything was taken. So there's a Pruder film you see today is not the real Zapruder film. It was, it was edited. 
they had everything in place. They had everything under control. They, they controlled every aspect of it. And I think so it was these guys. It was the elitist, I call them cold warriors. And they, they Kennedy had to go. And they had the gall to do it, right? To kill an American president in broad daylight in front of hundreds of people, thousands of people shoot you know literally shoot his head off right he got his head shot off so that's what i think happened can i say who was behind the grassy knoll or who i would never even attempt to do that but something business today looks nothing like it did yesterday while it's more unpredictable its possibilities are endless at adp turning unpredictability into an advantage is what we do Using data-driven insights, we design HR solutions to help businesses work better, smarter, so they can think beyond today and find even more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll. ADP, always designing for people. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer, and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? (laughs) No, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Nefarious like that happened that day. And the cover-up was on. And it wasn't a very good cover-up. Jack Ruby walks into a police station and shoots. Come on, who believes that he really wanted to, you know, have Jackie avoid a trial? I mean, who? Jack Ruby was up to his neck in the mob. He was a mobster. He knew Lee Ari Oswald. He knew Carlos Marcello. He knew these guys. So you have a situation where and then the Warren Commission was a total joke, total whitewash. Who's on the Warren Commission? Alan Dulles. He oversees the Warren Commission. It just seems like it was People all, ask me, it just seems like it was all set up just to to make sure that nothing leaked. Right. And they could control it. And even if something even if something didn't go right, the magic bullet theory. They had a real problem on their hands because in order for Oswald to have done it alone, there had to be only three bullets. They accounted for two of them. There was one left, and that one bullet had to do these miraculous things and make 90-degree turns in midair and and have like between Kennedy and uh, Connolly have like four or five wounds in them and then come out pristine bullet. Like it never hit anything. A bullet that would have done that much damage and hit that much flesh and bone would have been unrecognizable. That bullet that they said was the magic bullet was pristine. So again, if you're a critical thinker, there's not even anything to think about. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on, man. Stop. You're insulting our intelligence. We're adults. We can handle it. You know, just be honest. There was a coup. You took over the country. You made sure Kennedy wasn't going to be in power. You got your war. They got their Vietnam War. And that people made billions of dollars on that. Bell helicopter. <laughs> I think it was nine billion in helicopters alone in the Vietnam War that, you know, because they went down, they crashed. They, they, they had all the contracts. 
Never mind the CIA caught smuggling heroin inside of deceased soldiers coming back. Correct. And one of the one of the people, one of the fathers, my father's in the CIA. That chapter, his dad told him that the CIA was that the Vietnam War was about opium. And at first, you think, well, really? It was all money making stuff. So, and the CIA has always been involved in drug smuggling and drug. They they control that, and they it's also their way to control populations. If you really, if you, if we knew the extent of the Ameri- what the American government has done over the years, people would be mortified. It is sad. It is. Very it is sad. sad. Well, let me let me ask you this. We have five minutes to go before we go to break here at the bottom of the hour. Jack Roth is our guest tonight talking about his new book, Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot. When when you go down this road and you're investigating, you're seeing all of this information where two plus two is nowhere close to equaling four. How do you not take it personally? How do you not, as as an American, as a journalist, as a writer, a documentarian, how do you not take it personally on what you're finding? You do take it personally because it's it's he was our president, not their president. The president is the people's president. We elect him. He's our president. And they took our president away. So it's very difficult not to be insulted by it and angered by it, which is why 60 years later, all people are just, there's a visceral reaction to it. And what I had to do as a journalist is let me just interview these people. I'll ask them good questions. I know what to ask. Right. And then I'll just present it. And then my conclusion, I don't really. Like I say, the Cold War. I don't give names. I don't, you know. I, I there's, I have an idea of who, what may have happened. I learned a heck of a lot about Oswald, and and how the fact that you know he has two daughters that are still alive. I don't know if people realize this. Uh, Marina, his wife's still alive, and these two kids, these two girls, have had to live their lives with their father's name being smeared constantly as the lone nut assassin when I'm convinced he didn't even shoot a gun that day and he tried to prevent it. That is an injustice. And someone said that a country can't be whole until it comes clean with itself. And what, here's what I mean by that. Germany obviously did not have a good 20th century. I think we can all agree. (laughs) But what Germany did after they owned the the Holocaust, they owned the World War II, they owned the Nazi Party. You can't be educated in Germany without doing extensive research and being taught extensively about the Nazi Party and what happened in Germany. So they owned their mistakes. The truth is there to see. That's the only way you heal. The United States has never healed because it was always one thing after another once Kennedy died. We, then we had, you know, right at 10 years, we're dealing with Watergate 10 years. Watergate. 
Iran Contra. And and what people need to understand is that governments are corrupt. It's human nature. People in power are corrupt. They become more corrupt. And the more power they have, the more corrupt they are. And if they have elitist attitudes, citizenry beware. Because they're going to try to control everything. Now, you know, I'm saying all this, but, you, you know, you're from Canada, and I often wonder, you know, is it better there? Is the Canadian government doesn't have that kind of reputation or no? It's getting there now. It's getting there. Oh, really? It okay. is getting there now with the uh, a lot of rules that are coming in. And, you know, I try not to talk a lot of politics on this show, right. so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to steer away from that. But one thing I do want to to clarify with you and for our audience who may have just tuned in, you're not a conspiracy theorist. You're not a, a person who is going down a, a, a rabbit hole trying to, to find out, you know, how everything is tied together. You are somebody who as a journalist is going down, looking for the facts on what you perceive your evidence or where you perceive your evidence is taking you. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about subjects like this, we get confused thinking that this is a very conspiratorial type topic, and therefore you, Jack Roth, must be a conspiracy theorist. But then with 35 seconds left, that really isn't the case at all. That's not who you are. It's not who I am. And I spend the entire introduction of the book talking about how not all conspiracies are created equal. And how the CIA came up with the term conspiracy theorist as a direct result of people questioning the Warren Commission report. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and we can talk more about it, but I'm not. I, I treat everything as I just try to be a critical thinker. The Kennedy assassination is not crazy conspiracy theory. We already know there is a conspiracy. There was a cover-up. It's just a question of to what extent and who. And on that note, Jack Roth, we have you for another 30 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot is Jack's book. When we come back, we're going to get more into the assassination, history, and why talking about it 60 years later matters today. We'll be right back. This is a good time, man. This is a good time. Yeah. You know, I was told it's it's really I was told when I first got into this by a couple of wise people. The government will never come after you for talking about Kennedy. They'll never come after you about talking about UFOs. Anything else, you're dead in the water. <laughs> I know. Because they have that covered for such a long time and there's so much misinformation out there. And and of course they've made it so that anyone who does believe in E. T. you know, contact or the Kennedys that it was a conspiracy, they think they're crazy. You know, and, and the, the the mainstream media still talks about it that way. Still. Yeah. You know, they make fun of people. They have the you know, Dan Rather and, and uh Peter Jennings made livings out of saying that the Warren, they did specials saying, oh, after all this time, Oswald did it. <laughs> you know, we you know, still think, you know, and it just, it was nonsense. You know, I, I don't know if Lori ever told you about my speech in Denver at, at the MUFON conference that was titled, Why Now? Okay. 
you know, when you look mm-hmm. into the UFO story, how, you know, as a journalist, I'm sure you view it the same as I am. You're just absolutely dumbfounded with how many stories they have dropped all because of the name. The story is about UFOs and yeah. any real journalist with any type of understanding of how real investigative journalism works would know how many stories fell off the press table. I mean, you look at the New York Times, who since 9-11 had the... Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Best-selling newspaper on a weekend ever when that December 17th article came out in 2017. And no follow-up? No right. follow-up? That's simple business. <laughs> right. That's simple business. Right. You know, if you go and sell yeah. the most newspapers in 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 today's society where sales are down across the board on newspapers and you finally make millions on a Saturday and you go and you drop the ball with no follow-up, that's unheard of. I mean, you look at the 9-11 stories, not to get into those or the conspiracy behind it, but that was every day for months, every day. Right. You know, other stories have been there every day. And yet right. you have your biggest newspaper seller and you, you don't follow up the story for four months. That's right. un, That's unheard of. Yep. It's unheard of, and it's possibly the most important story for mankind. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, do we share the universe? Is there, is there Have ETs contacted us? Again, it, it's insulting because it's like they think we're children. It's like we have every right to know what you know. Yeah. Every right. That's why I, I tell our audience quite often, and I'm sure they're sick of me saying it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I tell our audience quite often that until the truth comes out, true disclosure, because we are in a confirmation movement, and I I don't even want to use the word disclosure anymore on this show because we're not having disclosure. Okay, and <laughs> and and I tell I tell my audience every every day, or or all the time enough to feel like every day, we cannot eliminate any story whatsoever until the ufo pandora's box is open once that box opens we'll know what happened at roswell prior to roswell 
We'll know about Eisenhower. We'll um, potentially meeting with aliens. We'll know about Holloman Air Force Base, the missing parts of that eight-second video. We'll know if Lazar worked at Area 51 or not. We'll know the truth behind Elizondo. We'll We'll know everything. That's disclosure. Dis- right. Disclosure isn't you telling me Santa Claus is real, but oh, by the way, you can't see him, and you're never going to be able to see him. But believe me, <laughs> right. he's real. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I agree with you. People ask me, and it's like, do you don't do you really believe that the government's still controlling? They're spoon feeding little things. They're controlling the narrative, and they're going to continue to control the narrative. Yeah. And people get very excited. Oh, disclosure's coming. Did you see that article? I'm like, it's not coming. It's not coming. <laughs> it's not coming. Uh, we got 20 seconds. <laughs> Hold on. I want to say a big thank you. Mr. Catfish times two. Simon times two. Scowling Greg O'Brien. Va- Vaughn Patrick. Pam. Maggie. Jeremy. Susie. Louis. Nero. And S- Simon again for the super chats. Very much appreciate it. Here we go with the next half hour. We pass the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dave Scott, and I appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read the news wire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our good friend Jack Roth is here. He's with J3 Films. He's also a journalist, a director, producer, author, and he's got a new book, Killing Kennedy, Exposing the Plot of the JFK Assassination. We were talking about this earlier on, 60 years later, as we bring you back in. 60 years later, Jack. Here we are, still talking about it. (laughs) Why do we need to pay umbrage to this story that just won't go away? Because things aren't going to change for the better until the truth comes out. Now, whether the truth will ever come out is a different discussion, (laughs) and it's a different question. But, yes, 60 years, and that's why I wanted to write the book because I have a a 21-year-old son, and he's he's a critical thinker. He's a free thinker. He gets into stuff. He asks questions. We've watched JFK together. He's into the stuff I do. He's a smart kid. And I kind of wrote this book – I wrote it for everyone, but I was hoping that younger people, younger generations would read it because they weren't, they don't care. They just, and, and, and it's designed, our educational system is designed for them not to care. The the technology is, is as such right now that they would rather be playing a video game. They don't even know who Kennedy was. And I'm not saying all of all kids, but there's these generations 
whether it's Generation Z, right? Right now, millennials, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what they really think or whether they care at all. But I know that Generation Z cares. And because I hear it, I hear it from my, my son's friends too. So if you can get them to start thinking critically, there's a couple of people I interviewed for the book who teach college courses on the Kennedy assassination, the assassinations, uh, the political assassination in the 1960s. And the whole point of those classes is that it, it's almost like a critical thinking class. My son actually took a, a critical thinking class this semester, last semester. And I, I said, that class alone is worth four years of college because that's what you should be learning, how to be a critical thinker. It'll, it'll take you a long way in life. So I want people to ask the right questions. I want people to care because it's their country. And, and we were duped. It was horrible. And, and I don't take kindly to elitists trying to control my life, trying to control the way this country works, controlling that they make all the money, the majority of the money. This is not what the United States is supposed to be. We're democracy. And it's, it's, it's disgusting when you think about it. And we should all be furious. 60 years later, we should be furious. I mean, you look at the names that have been involved with this, whether it's Marilyn Monroe about to spill the beans, whether it's Dorothy Kilgallen, whether it's oh. Jack Ruby, whether it's numerous people, even even uh, the fathers of actors who were CIA hitmen. You know, I mean, right. here we go. I mean... There are so many names. Yep. Joe in our chat room was mentioning Doug Caddy, Jim Rothstein, Marita Lorenz, or Frank Sturgis. I mean, there are so many names that have been dropped uh, regarding this case. I mean, how do you not follow those paths, each and every one of them? I guess you can't, can you? Well, you you try to follow those paths and what you find at the end of a lot of those paths is they wind up dying. They're dead and they're died young. I mean, Dorothy Kilgallen is, is a story in itself and people need to know that story. It's in the book. A couple people in the chapter in my chapters talk about it. I made sure I mentioned it because I wanted people to know who Dorothy Kilgallen was. She was a journalist. You know, she was a popular TV personality and she was convinced that she knew what really happened and who, who really killed Kennedy. And they found her dead. She, she was the only one to interview Jack Ruby in prison. That, that was pretty impressive. And she said she was going to blow the case wide open, and they found her dead, a barbiturates overdose. And a lot of people were like, really? No. I mean, it just, if it happens once, okay. If it happens twice, eh, you know, coincidence. It happens 37 times or 58 times with all these quote-unquote people who knew stuff or witnesses who all died weird deaths, all died ahead of their, before their time, you know. And you have to start questioning that and say, Dorothy Kilgallen was murdered. She was. And we'll never know. Because, again, the modus operandi of these CIA and the mob, they were very good at what they did. 
they can kill someone and make it look like a suicide easily. There was a journalist who was was on to this. He was from Dallas, and he was questioning all of it. I can't remember the name offhand. He was killed by a karate chop to the back of the neck while getting out of the shower. Really? (laughs) That's the first time I've ever heard of that. But it's an assassin. It's someone who knows how to kill someone with a karate chop to the back of the neck. Take him out. What about the rumor? I'm going to throw this right out there. What about the rumor that has been going around for a number of years that the CIA is not in the killing game anymore? That they are, you know, they're done with that. After the mess because of Kennedy, they're kind of done with that. Well, in the 70s, you had all these commissions, right? The House Select Committee on Assassinations. You had the, uh, there were like three or four different commissions that came out and and they, they, they were investigating the CIA's activities in the 50s and 60s and all the illegal, literally illegal things that they were doing. So a lot came out. A lot didn't because they still covered up. The, they were able to not get into the Kennedy stuff and they had people stonewall that. But other stuff came out. And in the seven, that's when Gerald Ford came out with a new law saying that the CIA can't assassinate foreign leaders anymore which basically is saying they admitted to assassinating foreign leaders in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So now you look at the world we live in. You have terrorism on a massive scale in, in several countries. You have, you still have Russia as a threat, China. It's a, it's a dangerous world we live in. I find it hard to believe that the CIA isn't in the business of killing anymore. Now, they could contract it out, but I'm sure that's still not what they're supposed to do. Like, they could just listen, you know, and cover it up. But it, I've heard from more recent CIA, former CIA operatives and people that I know that they say it's not as bad now as it was during the real Cold War, where there was real spycraft going on and espionage and people being th- thrown down elevator shafts and, you know, being hit by umbrella, you know, dart guns and heart attack guns. I mean, they do whatever they needed to do to kill people. And as fascinating as it is, it's immoral because you're not supposed to, as again, the CIA is supposed to collect intelligence, foreign intelligence, all they're supposed to do. So I think it's not as bad, but I don't, I don't put anything past the CIA. I still think there's, I mean, Afghanistan, opium, in South America in the 80s, they were doing it. They were doing the drug thing again. I mean, they really, has it changed that much? Iran-Contra? I don't know. Oh, it's just on and on. And I don't know if anyone could ever stop it. I mean, when you talk about powerful people, they're powerful for a reason. It's not just about money. It's about control. It's about knowing the right people. And it's about, it, it, it's like almost like an old boys club, right? And again, I talk about this. Elitist, a Harvard, Yale, Ivy League educated, straight into the CIA, straight into the FBI, straight into wherever. 
Bell Helicopter, uh, you know, other huge companies that are that have CIA presence in every one of them. We work directly with the CIA. So these are very powerful people that don't necessarily want to kill people if they don't have to. They'd rather discredit them these days. With technology, we go back to the what happened to Stan. But if they have to kill, they have they will not hesitate, I think. I mean, why would they care? They don't they don't value human life like you and I value human life. Because we're lower forms of human life. They're the elitists, so who cares about the masses? Who cares? They're idiots, they're morons. And in in a strange way of thinking, they're right. I mean, you look at people. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you look at, you know, you could take 100 people at a protest. There's like five police officers, yet they're all running. They're all running, yeah. trying to get out of the area. Right? I mean, it's 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 a scary, scary situation to be in. But getting back to the whole 60-year part of it and the fact that you know, the information is out there. Do you ever expect to see a time when new information will come out? Because a case like this, even though it's closed, it never really ends until there's an answer. Yeah, there was recently new documents that came out that that further validated that Oswald was a CIA operative. And this is something that the CIA never wanted anyone to know, because if that comes out, it changes everything. So there was no follow-up. One of the guys in my book, um, Jefferson Morley, was the one who got those documents. He's a journalist, D.C. journalist. He's written a couple books on the CIA. And he's like, this is a big deal. And my publisher actually called and said, hey, did you hear about this? This could be huge for your book. And I said, I'm not getting excited about it because I don't think there's going to be any fo- – I don't think it's actually going to come out. It's not going to be on the front page of the New York Times and the Washington Post like it should be. I guarantee you that. It's going to be buried somewhere and no one cares because they're distracted by the Kardashians, what they're doing, and all the nonsense. And we fight in this country. In this country, it's bad. We fight. They want us to fight politically. You know, They want it to be Democrat versus Republican. But these elitists don't care. They don't. They don't care. This is what they want. They want us to fight over stupid stuff, so they can keep doing the high level stuff and keep maintain that power, right? And it sounds. It does. It sounds all oh, conspiracy theory, blah blah blah. But just do the work, man. Do the research. Do the historic research because when you understand history, you can understand why things the way they are now. And you can almost predict the future. And if you understand human nature, that's why it was. A, there's a whole section in my book where I interviewed a, psycho- a couple of psychologists, a uh, philosophy professor, and a political science professor. And I had them talk about the assassination. I asked them questions based on their expertise and their field of study. And to look at the Kennedy assassination from a psychological perspective and to look at it from a philosophical perspective. And to look at it from a social science perspective and how things work, really work, and how human beings think, you realize that if, you're, if you are in a position to, to be an elitist and have that attitude and have that power, most are born into it. 
is their families. Some, some gain the power, but a lot are born into those families, especially in the United States. Once you have that, you know, you're not giving it up. And, you, and when you realize the psychology of people, you realize, you, you realize why Kennedy was killed and you realize you, you, get, you get a glimpse into the men who were responsible for it, what they were like. And when you realize that, you realize that, oh, yeah, this, this has been happening since Julius Caesar was assassinated. It, it, it just stinks. It stinks. You know, it does. I it's mean, awful. It, I'd be a happier person if I didn't write this book. No, but well, let, <laughs> let, me, let me bring this up then. Uh, Jack, let me bring this up with you then. Do you feel dirty after you after you wrote this? Uh, I don't feel dirty because I feel like I'm not dirty. I feel like now I know other people are dirty, but I feel I feel sad for the country, and I feel sad for humanity, and I feel like why in the world can't we get our acts together? And it, this ties into the UFO stuff because people ask, why don't they come down and why don't they da da da? If I'm an ET. And I'm watching human behavior. Uh, honestly, I have to say, I wouldn't. If the wait until they wipe each other out, and we'll come down and settle. Settle. The Earth is a beautiful place. The Earth is going to survive our nonsense. Eventually, all this climate change is going to reverse. If we're gone, it'll be reversed within a hundred years or so. You the wildlife is going to be teeming again. The oceans are going to be clean. Yeah, they just come down and settle then. I mean, I don't have faith in humanity. That's that's what I got for writing this book <laughs> and doing the documentaries. I don't have much faith in humanity because of our behavior. It it, it really is about the ignorance. <laughs> it is, yeah. Ignorance and ego, and you know, and and, and a certain percentage of the population people don't realize are actually. Some of these leaders, some of these powerful people are mentally ill. They're, they're megalomaniacs. They're sociopaths. They're elitists. They have all these traits that are very dangerous traits. They're narcissists. You do a psychological profile, Lyndon Johnson, and you're going to run for the hills. You'll be like, this guy was president? So you, again, you have to realize the people that were surrounding Kennedy, like it was, it was insane, you know, but it doesn't, why don't we get better? Why don't we learn? I feel like we're evolving. Some of us are, I feel like. Yeah, but you could say that because, or to me, it's easy to see that, that people have stopped voting. You know, and that's right. the, that's the problem is, I mean, if you take it right into a political atmosphere, People have stopped voting because it doesn't matter whether you're Democrat, Republican, or up here, liberal, conservative, or Democrat. No matter who gets in, it's all the same rhetoric, just a different color logo on a party. And Correct. And you Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening? 
Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, Where next? You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. No, it, it is about power. It is about about power tripping and you know like no politician out there pardon me for saying this but no politician ever should enter you know with two hundred thousand dollars worth of student loan bills and come out a millionaire because of right. lo- because of lobbying or because of whatever it may be that's one thing i will say right we have right he- right up here is you can't lobby for certain amounts Right, I can't say that. Hey. I think is brilliant because that that makes a difference. I'm sure. Oh, absolutely, it does. I mean, look, I'm not saying there isn't any backdoor ways that things happen, right? But I mean, there's no way you should become a millionaire as a politician unless you, you know, at what's a salary, a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, okay? Over, let's say you have a thirty year career as a politician and you invest your money wisely. Well, then, obviously, you know, you might end as a millionaire, right? So, I mean, I don't know. You know, it, it's yeah. it, it's scary. It really is scary, you know. I mean, the political field today around the world is, is uh, something we need to open up to. And the only way it changes is if those people who got fed up about voting or those younger people who just think voting is a farce finally get out there and cast a ballot. It doesn't matter what party. Right. It doesn't matter what party. Just no. do your part. Do what you feel is good right. in your heart and soul. Absolutely. And you see that in the United States in the last presidential election and then the last midterm election that we just had. There were record turnouts. Because, but it got to a point where people were afraid democracy was going to fail. It was on the, it was teetering on a disaster after January 6th. So people got scared and people were like, I gotta vote. Like people were like, we might not have a democracy anymore. So we need to make sure we go out and vote. And thank God they did, you know, and, and we're fighting for our lives here. Like there are our freedoms and our, uh, just, we are fighting for democracy. Because there are people in power and people, politicians, that do not care at all about that. They don't care about the people. But the other thing that we've lost, and I I apologize because I never talk politics here, ever. But the one thing else that we've lost is we've lost the farmer, the ordinary person who's trying to make a difference in politics, in running Okay, it's all lawyers, it's all business people, uh, people with seven-figure bank accounts. And look, I'm a capitalist. I will say that right now. I am a capitalist, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Right. And I will say this, uh, and this is my opinion, we've lost the people who actually have a care about the government. I remember I come from a farming community. It was usually farmers who ran for mayor, 
who ran for aldermen at that time because they weren't counselors. They were aldermen, you know, who ran for for the local, uh, you know, provincial government and the federal government. That way they knew what was going on. It wasn't about metropolises having, you know, twice as many seats as the rest of the province or the rest of the state or whatever it may be. It was about representing what is good. And now it's 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 a politics has become a multi-billion dollar business. It really has. You know, I mean, we got right. I mean, do you think if we had more farmers in government, whether in Canada or the U.S., that food prices would be where they are right now? <laughs> right. Oh, you can't I mean affordable housing here. I don't know about there, but it, it, it's a it's a major issue. Oh, you want to can afford a I don't yeah. Oh, it's bad. And I know Vancouver is very bad. The average price for a house in Canada right now is over eight hundred thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I'll give you something. I'll give you something here. When I moved up here, okay, and I and I never talk about my personal life here, okay? When I moved into my home up here where I live now, I bought my house for $255,000. I have over half an acre of property. Okay, I couldn't afford that down near Vancouver, Okay. My house that I sold, if I would have waited another twelve months to sell it, I sold it for about four seventy. I could have made one million dollars off of it. Made one million. Okay. <laughs> my property today, according to my last assessment, is and this is in a community of eleven hundred people, is Almost five hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Right, it's terrible. How do you survive? How does a a twenty five year old kid save up at forty thousand dollars a year to buy a home with ten percent down? Oh yeah, we could totally right. totally go all over the place, Jack. <laughs> we are done for the night. We are done. <laughs> But uh, I, I wish you all. It was the, fun. I wish you all the success on your book, uh, Killing Kennedy, exposing the plot. Good job for you, and let's bring you back on soon, my friend. Let's bring you back on soon. It's great to be here. Thank you. It was fun. Absolutely love it. Coming up next, we're heading to the swamp. Super Duke is after that, followed by the Dave One Hundred and One. Space Out Radio continues right after this. Stay tuned. If I didn't have a woo show, I would totally do a political show. Totally do a political <laughs> show. Because uh, believe it, 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 it's so, believe yeah. it or not, <laughs> it, hi, gorgeous Amy WC, uh, believe it or not, I love politics. I do. I love wow. politics. Wow, okay. Um, but I love calling out the BS that goes along with it as well. The hypocritical stuff. Right. You know, I, I'm a politically I am a hybrid between a liberal and a conservative. And okay. like like I am I am somebody I I would never tell a woman what they should do with their body. I don't care right. what you want to identify as uh, uh you know, as a person. You be you. As long right. as you are happy You be you, right. As long as you are happy, you be you. 
okay? But conservative-wise, when it comes to business, I'm very strict about that, okay? I have my ways. I'm not going to mention them because I don't want to upset some people, but I have my ways, <laughs> right? <laughs> so so like you're, so, you're socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. But, <laughs> but you know what? I don't run around, you know, I mean, to be if I want to get controversial, I don't run around saying, you know, uh, guns kill people. Guns don't kill people. They are a tool. Okay, It takes a human to kill right. a human. And when I see, like up here, our government right now is restricting guns left, right, and center, even going as far as restricting airsoft guns because they look like automatic weapons. Okay, and mm. paintball guns. That's how ridiculous it is. Do you, have a, do you have a gun violence problem in no, Canada? No, we have a gang problem in the, in Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal. Okay. Who, oh, wow. Who, who get illegal guns out of the United States, normally handguns, which are considered prohibited weapons up here. Okay. So mm-hmm. one of the issues that, that, um, that has come up around here is... They want to eliminate fi- uh, any any rifle, hunting rifle, hunting rifle that stores more than five bullets. And the argument here is the people making these decisions have no idea what it's like when you have a charging grizzly bear at you and you have to right. self-load the rifle one shot at a time. Or you have a pack of wolves that are attacking your livestock, and you have nothing. Right. You have <clears throat> nothing for um, to protect them by. Okay, that is the issue. Like the First Nations are now getting on board with saying, you know, like you try taking down a muskox one shot at a time, or a moose. You you wound a moose. Right. You wound a moose. You're a dead man. Right. Okay. You wound a bear or a cougar or uh, a polar bear comes at you if you're way, way up north. Right. Okay. Right. You're screwed. Yes. You are, right. you are screwed. Well, it's like again, it comes, it's, it's common sense gun laws, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, if someone's hunting and they're out in the middle, and Canada is also, it's different. You know, there's a lot of wilderness. There's a lot of hunting. There's a lot of, and you have those animals there. We have them here too, but I feel like Canada's more. Uh, Dude, I there's more nature. It's more, you know. Dude, it's it, it's intimidating when you go outside to take the garbage out, and you are looking for black bears, or you are looking for mm. uh, when you walk through a park. Or in the forest, you're not only looking around, you have to look up because there could be a mountain lion in the tree ready to pounce on you. <laughs> yeah, okay? that's like... But hey, yeah. but hey, I can carry a machete, <laughs> right? Or, or an atlatl, right? Like the yeah. Neanderthals or Cro-Magnon, atlatls. Yeah. That doesn't get you very far. No. Yeah. You're not hunting in packs. <laughs> right. Right. You know. <laughs> it's it, Yeah, no, that's it's funny. It's ridiculous. Like in my town, break in crime is almost non existent because almost every house has a gun. And yeah. and uh you know, because hey, everywhere you go around here is wilderness. 
I'm probably one of the only right. few who doesn't, but <clears throat> just the way it is. It's just the way it is. But uh, anyways, my friend, I got to prepare for hour number three here. I appreciate Go. you, Jack. Okay. We'll talk soon, okay? Listen, Dave, I appreciate you. Really do. I appreciate everything, and we'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. You take care. All right, you too. Good night. All right, bye-bye. All right, Jack Roth, everybody. Good, solid interview there. Good, solid interview. I want to say a quick thank you to all of our Super Chatters tonight. Susie with the hat trick. Thank you, Sally, Kira, and Louie times two, Catfish times two, Maggie, Simon times two, Pam S. Vaughn, Patrick, Scoutling, Greg O'Brien, Nuro, and uh, Jeremy. Thank you so much for the love, guys. Very much appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, uh, bomber, you hit the nail on the head there. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And trust me, uh, D Swiger, a lot of people are losing their rifles. Yeah. They don't just, they're just disappearing. They don't know where they went. All right. Here we go. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Yeah, yeah is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets a password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out Bumblefoot, read the newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again for us to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller takes us on another spooky journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. To preface this, I am an avid hunter, and this is not my first time nor my last weird encounter I've seen while hunting. This encounter happened two years ago in December, and now on to the story itself. I went out hunting. I was hoping for a giant buck this day. On the drive to the spot where I parked my truck, I saw something, and it was truly odd. It was snowing out, so I could not see all that well, but I could have sworn I saw an outline of a person on a hill looking at me. It was my friend's land. It was private property, so no one should be here. 
but he let me and a few of our friends hunt here from time to time. So it was odd to see someone none of us knew were supposed to be here, and I was the only one of my friends who were supposed to be hunting today, I definitely made sure of that. I was thinking, sure, maybe somebody got lost, but there is so much signage that says this is private property, you'd have to be dumb to not see it. And it was so early in the morning, I figured it has to be somebody who doesn't have the greatest intentions. Anyway, I wasn't that worried, so I just parked my car and got out to my tree stand. I was there for a couple of hours, and I did not see a thing. I was waiting for something to walk by as the forest started to fall silent. And if you are a hunter, and pretty much anyone, you would know that if that happens, it's never a good sign. But then I saw the perfect deer walk in front of me. It was alone, and it was running which was not all that uncommon, but it was frail looking. I did not fire at it at first. I just watched it. I looked behind it, and something jumped on it. A white human looking creature. I clutched my rifle and looked down my sight for a better look, but it must have heard me. It looked up at me and smiled the most blood chilling smile I have ever seen. I fired at it. It missed and hit the ground. It seemingly jumped back, freaked out, hissing at me. It started twitching and raising its head, and then everything suddenly like froze. It froze in the air like something had happened. I could feel the utter malice this thing had for me. I reloaded as fast as possible and fired again, this time in this thing's chest. It fell again, but this time it did not get back up. I sat there for at least an hour. I dared not move in fear that this thing would get back up. Eventually, I got the energy to run back to my car. I got back in my car and drove away and did not look back. I don't know what that thing was. I've never seen it again, and I've never gone back. And that's why we love the Swamp Dweller around here, as we take a look at everything that he does on a nightly basis, Monday through Friday night to kick off hour number three. The Swamp always gets us a little freaky. Each and every night, and that's what we love. Hey, if you want thousands more stories just like that, head over to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads, and you can check him out for yourself. Make sure you hit subscribe. From the swamp to the forest, it's time for the man, the myth, the legend, Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. Hey. There we go, Super Duke and his new intro there. How you doing, buddy? That one just pumps you right up, doesn't it? <laughs> I am so psyched. I am just incredibly psyched. That plus the coffee that I've been drinking is really helping. You you know what? I gave a gasp of uh, air during the Swamp Dweller there. I literally, as you know, have been fighting uh, some copyright uh, claims on our YouTube channel. And I told the the people about that regarding uh, our music that we use. Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Sons of Apollo. And how we have permission to use his music. And I open up my Little brother is watching. I open up my email. And all it is, is hundreds of emails saying copyright claim released. 
copyright claim released. Copyright claim released. <laughs> and this has all happened. It started at, oh, my goodness. I don't even know when this started. Uh, hold on. Oh, my goodness. This started at, uh, oh, let me say, about about uh, 45 minutes ago. And all my shows now are getting released. Finally. Finally. I'm a happy man right now, Super Duke. Happy, happy. Free. Free. Thank God at last Dave Scott has been set free. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Bumblefoot. That's why we rock with him. That's why we rock. Little brother is watching each and every night, my man. And a little glad to be here when Super Duke comes on. Super Duke. Super Duke. What do you got for us tonight, big man? Well, I'll tell you what, partner. We're going back a long spell ago to the same book I was referencing last time I was on. Abominable Snowman Legend Come to Life by the eminent Ivan T. Sanderson. And, like, if somebody hasn't, they need to write a book about Ivan T. Sanderson. He's, like, a really strange character. He was involved in intelligence gathering during World War II and then afterwards somehow got involved in cryptozoology. What? Wait. What? <laughs> And him and Bernard Hewlemans became the fathers of it. Well, we're going to go back, and uh, a lot of people that are big in the Bigfoot thing know all about this, but other people that don't pay that much attention to it are always wondering, hey, I'm looking at trying to look up old reports of Bigfoot, and I can't find any before the 1950s. Or more to the point, hey, where did the word Bigfoot come from? Well, it all goes back to uh, Jerry Crew. Jerry was an older member of a crew bulldozing a new road into a virtually unexplored territory on behalf of Mr. Ray Wallace, a subcontractor to Messrs. Block and Company, who had in turn contracted with the National Park Service to carry out the work. So a lot of people involved. He's a local man in the area. His fellow workers were, for the most part, also local men and included a nephew and several other people. He lists them. I'm going to have to keep skipping because his uh, his version of this gives all the details, and it's too long. Uh, the road had been under construction. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor Ted loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now i got to borrow one from Ted? What is happening? Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. It never dawned on me how much walking I used to do until I bought a house in the suburbs. Like when I'd say, I'm going for coffee, of course I was walking. But now it's like three miles and no latte's worth that. I find myself inviting people on walks with me like it's a scheduled activity. This morning, my neighbor asked me what I'm doing, and I actually said, I'm going for a walk with Nancy. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. For two seasons already, country is mountainous, though this is an understatement, being the most intense and everywhere almost vertical so that you can only go up on all fours or down on your bottom. Unless you make an exaggerated and exhausting climb, you cannot see more than about four square miles of the country because you're always on the side of something going either straight up or almost straight down. And unless a tree has fallen or been cut off, you can't see anything 
because bare rock is confined to the uppermost summits of the peaks and ridges. The road crawls laboriously up to the face of the western wall that encloses a stream known as Bluff Creek. It's still unsurfaced when I visited it in 1959, was ankle deep in ultra-fine dust that surpasses anything the deserts of Arizona can produce at their damnedest. All along the mountainous trail, there are stumps of vast trees cut and hauled out and great slides of friable shale, gray, brown, blue, or even green that have been sliced out of the sheer valley side. The great dozers and crawlers clank and roar in the hot summer sunlight as they gnaw their relentless way into this timeless forest. The great trees seem to recoil a little from the mechanical jingling and screeching, but day by day, these bright yellow and red monsters munch away ever deeper into one of the last of America's real wildernesses. Now, those employed there, because of how far this was out into the middle of nowhere, basically would stay there all week. They would go home on the weekends because it was a two-hour drive just to get out of there to another road. So most of them didn't want to travel that much every day, so they were just staying on site. <clears throat> what Jerry Crew discovered when he went to start up his cat was that somebody had inspected it rather thoroughly during the previous night, as could be plainly seen by a series of footprints that informed a, uh, had formed a track to and all around and then away from the machine. Such tracks would not have aroused his curiosity under normal circumstances because there were three dozen men at the roadhead, and the newly scraped roadbed was covered with soft mud areas alternating with patches of loose shale. What did startle him was that these footprints were of a shoeless or naked foot of distinctly human shape and proportions, but actual measurement about 17 inches long. Of these, Jerry Crew took an extremely dim view. He had heard tell of similar tracks having been seen by another road gang working eight miles north of a place called Corbo on the Mad River earlier that year, and his nephew Jim Crew had also mentioned having come across something similar in the area. Being a pragmatic family man, he felt, he told Ivan, some considerable annoyance that some outsider should try to pull such a silly stunt on him. He had first stressed an outsider because Although his fellow workers liked a harmless joke as much as any man, he knew that they were far too tired to go clomping around in the dark after the sort of working day they put in on that job, making silly footprints around the equipment. Then he tells me he got to thinking about this outsider and wondered just how he had got there without passing the camps further down the road and being spotted, and how he had gotten out again, or where he had gone over those precipitous mountains clothed in tangled undergrowth. He followed the tracks up, and that is where he got his second shot. Going backward, he found they came almost straight down an incline of about 75 degrees onto the road ahead of the parked cat, then proceeded down the road on one side, circled the machine, and went on down the road toward the camp. Before getting there, however, they cut across the road and went straight down an even steeper incline and continued into the forest with measured stride, varied only when an obstacle had to be stepped over or the bank was so steep, purchase could be obtained by digging in the heels. The stride was enormous and proved in a measurement to be from between 46 to 60 inches and to average about 50 inches or almost twice that of his own. Jerry Crew was not only mystified, he was considerably peeved. He went to fetch some of his colleagues, then he received his third shock that morning. The majority of them, stout fellows and good friends that they were, refused to even go and look at the preposterous phenomenon that he told them he had found, and he had a hard time persuading any of them that even the tracks were there. Eventually, some of the men, who had in any case to go that way to get to work, agreed to go along with him and take a look. 
Then they got their shocks, and Jerry told me some of them looked uh, looked at me real queer. But there were others who reacted differently, and it then transpired that all of them had either seen something similar thereabouts or elsewhere or had heard of them from friends and acquaintances whom they regarded as totally reliable. The only Indians present said nothing about it at the time. Then they all went back to work. Nothing further happened for almost a month. Then, once again, these monstrous big feet appeared again overnight around the equipment and further down the road toward the valley, notably around a spring. About this time, Mr. Ray Wallace, the contractor, returned from a business trip. He had heard rumors of this on his way in, and either his men were pulling some kind of stunt up in the hills or that some outsider was pulling one on them. He paid little attention to these reports, but he was, he told me, somewhat apprehensive because the job was a tough one. Skilled and reliable workers were not plentiful, and the location was not conducive to the staying power of anyone. When he reached the camp and heard the details, he was more than just skeptical. He was downright angry. Moreover, all the encounter talk he at that time suspected was some sort of a prank and was just possibly one prompted by more than mere high spirits or boredom. The matter was until then and for further three weeks a purely local affair known only to the people around the area. Then the middle of September, a Miss Jess Bemis, wife of one of the men working on the road and one of the skeptics among the crew, wrote a letter to the leading local newspaper, the Humboldt Times of Eureka, which said in part, a rumor started among these men at once of the existence of a wild man. We regarded it as a joke. It was only yesterday that my husband became convinced that the existence of such a person is a fact. Have you heard of this wild man? Now, Mr. Andrew Gonzoli of the paper, excuse me, yep, Gonzoli, told me that he regarded this letter with a thoroughly jaundiced eye, but that the longer he saw it sitting on his desk, the brighter glow, the clearer blue light of his built-in news sense jingled until he could restrain himself no longer and ran the letter in a daily column. Uh, there was little response where he expected a near storm of derision. Instead, a trickle of tentatively confirmatory correspondence began to come in from the Willow Creek area. This was continuing uh, when on October 2nd, the maker of the tracks appeared again on his apparently rather regular round, leaving tracks for three nights in succession, then vanishing again for about five days. This time, Jerry Crew had prepared for his advent with a supply of plaster and made a series of casts of both right and left feet early one morning. Two days later, he took a couple days off to drive to Eureka on personal business and carried the cast along with him to show a friend. While there, somebody mentioned to Andrew Gonzoli that a man was in town who had made casts of the prints, and he was persuaded to go and fetch Jerry. Andrew is an old news hound, but of the new school. He can sense a good story as fast as any man, but he's properly averse to too good a story. When he met Jerry Crew and his trophies, he realized he had some real live news, not just a story on his hands, and ran a front pager on it with photographs the next day. And that's where the word Bigfoot came from. That was on the newspaper wow. headline. Wow. Then the balloons went up. The wire services picked it up, and almost every paper in the country printed it while cables of inquiry flooded in from abroad. The first I heard of it was a cable from a friend in London who had all of the details completely wrong. And then he goes into about a page and a half of trying to figure out what the hell this guy's talking about and finally realizing that it was supposed to be in Northern California and then getting really confused. And so then we go, go on with the story. <clears throat> now, everybody connected to the business and notably poor 
Mr. Genzoli was immediately almost smothered uh, with trolls. In the meantime, however, a number of other things had happened. Most notable among these was the reappearance of Bigfoot, as he was called one night, and Ray Wallace returned to the operations. Now, it so happened that a brother of the contractor, Wilbur Wallace, was working on the job, and he, besides seeing the foot tracks many times, witnessed three other annoying and to him most startling occurrences, which he had reported to his brother. I'll repeat these roughly in his own words, which appeared to me not only straightforward, but most convincing. First, it was reported to him by one of the men that a nearby full 55-gallon drum of diesel fuel. Quick, somebody in the chat room, look up what that weighs. Full 55-gallon drum of diesel fuel, which had been left standing beside the road, was missing. And the Bigfoot tracks led down the road from a steep bank to the spot where it had stood, then crossed the road, continued on down the hill, and finally went over the lower bank and away into the bush. Wilbur went to inspect and found the tracks exactly as the men had stated. He also found the oil drum at the bottom of a steep bank about 175 feet from the road. It had rolled down this bank and had apparently been thrown from the top. What is more, it had been lifted from its original resting place and apparently carried to this point. There were no marks in the soft mud of it having been either rolled or dragged all that distance. Second, a length of 18-inch galvanized steel culvert disappeared from a dump overnight and was found at the bottom of another bank some distance away. Third, he reported a wheel with a tire for a carry-all earth mover, which weighs about 700 pounds, had likewise been in part lifted and in part rolled a quarter of a mile down the road and hurled into a deep ravine. Ray Wallace, however, still remained skeptical even after hearing all this from his own brother. However, on the first morning at the location, he stopped for a drink at a spring on the way down the hill and stepped right into a mass of the big prints in the soft mud around the outfall. Then I gather from him, though he's a man with wonderfully good humor, he got, quote, good and mad, unquote. There was for him no longer any questions about the existence of these monstrous human-like tracks, but there remained the question as to who was perpetrating them and why. Ray Wallace is a hard-boiled and pragmatic man. He had already experienced trouble keeping his men on the job, and this was not making things easier. He thought at first somebody was trying to deliberately wreck his contract, and he was not alone. However, the local representative of the Humboldt Times, Miss Elizabeth Betty Allen, set about to investigate the possibility on her own and discovered beyond a doubt that neither good nor bad publicity nor any kind of scare actually made any difference to Mr. Wallace's contract. And long story short on this one, he wasn't under any time constraints. So he had all the time in the world for his crew to finish this job. So that would have made absolutely no difference. Spurred, uh, let's see. Then we have. uh, We got two two and a half minutes, my friend. By the way. Care brought with him. By the way, 55 gallons equals 436 pounds. There you go. Somebody's really strong. So a gentleman named Care had another guy named Brazel with him. They found tracks. And they followed them. When One night in late October, these two were driving down the new road after dark and state they came upon a gigantic humanoid or human-shaped creature covered with six-inch brown fur squatting by the road. They said it sprang up when it saw their headlights, crossed the road in two strides to vanish into the undergrowth. Then went, they went after it with a flashlight into the underbrush, but it was too sick to th- thick to see anything. They measured the road and found it to be 20 feet wide exactly that the creature had covered in two strides. And so then they tried to find some dogs to track it, 
they uh, had the dogs actually react to it and try and go after it, and the dogs were never seen again. Wow. There were also a host of subsequent sightings and more findings of tracks in that general area after this. But that's where the word Bigfoot came from. Interesting. Interesting. A little piece of history there from Super Duke from World Bigfoot Radio. I, I, I'd never and, known the story. I'd never yep, known the there, story. There's a lot of details to it, and there was a bunch of subsequent stuff after the newspaper had reported on it. And, you know, at the point where I'm reading it to you guys, the guy that owned the company wasn't 100% convinced of what was going on. But believe me, later on, he absolutely was. Oh, man. That is just... You know, sometimes you think it's some big hype. I always thought it had something to do with the Patterson-Gimlin film. I, I well, really... it was nearby that area, but this is 10 years before the Patterson-Gimlin film happened. And uh, just because he brought in these huge track casts and showed them to the news hound, and the news hound went, well, he has some big feet. We'll call him Bigfoot. Ta-da. That's There's what I thought. Came from. Yeah. No, Super Duke schooling us again. Tell everybody where they can find World Bigfoot Radio. Well, Bigfoot Radio, you can find on YouTube, Brighteon, BitChute, Odyssey, and Rumble. And go check out my awesome Facebook group, Montana Bigfoot Project. And I'm also on the MeWe censorship-free platform uh, with the group World Bigfoot Central. Come find me on over there, too. That's why we love you, Super Duke. Always real, always bringing it together. And we appreciate you, my man. Thank you. Coming up next... Dave 101 night, first Dave 101 of 2023. What is grinding my gears tonight? We'll let you know momentarily, then we will get to the newswire and hang out and get you some really weird stories for tonight. Space Out Radio's final half hour comes right after this. Stay tuned. All right, Super Duke, we are clear. Thanks, Dave. Just wanted to know. I want you to know. I talked to Kelly Shaw earlier today. Yeah. And I said, "Man, you got to go back on Spaced Out Radio." And he's like, "No, I just I don't like to do any shows, man. I want to be out in the field doing research all the time. You know, I don't like sitting there talking." You tell that. Kelly. You tell Kelly there is a giant Iron Sheik camel clutch coming his way if he doesn't change his mind about that. I'll keep working on him, but you know, like he's actually got like five different offers to be on TV shows this year, and went. So it isn't exactly easy to get him on anything. (laughs) All right, Super Duke. I'm out of here. Love you guys. I'll be right back back in the chat room. Take care.
Hmm. All right. I think I'm ready. Did my chair move? Anybody? Did my chair move? Help me out. Help me out. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I am so happy right now. So, so happy. Oh. You have no idea how happy I am. Thank you to all our super chatters tonight. Very much appreciate your continued love and support into the new year here of Spaced Out Radio. It really helps what we do. Here comes our or the final half hour, everyone. For home tonight on Spaced Out Radio. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. I want to remind you that if you've missed most of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. You can rock out to Bumblefoot, read the Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Here we go. It is that time of the night, that time of the week, where I yell at all the children to get off my lawn. It's the Dave 101. Cinderella song, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This is what we're going to see in ufology in 2023. Look, we're already starting out with this so-called excitement that the Russians have shot down something mysterious. And allegedly, according to Jeremy Corbell, filmmaker and documentarian, that the United States government and the military has been trying to shoot them down as well. Yeah. But aren't these Chinese drones? Weren't we just told that prior to the flip of the calendar into the new year? I mean, where are we going with this? What do we want to do with this subject? We're already almost three months late on the UFO report. There is no timeline of when that's coming down. We hear there's going to be more congressional hearings and we're hearing all these people, Kevin Day, Robert Salas, and many others saying, yeah, 
I'm going to go speak in front of Congress. When? When? Because nothing is happening. A whole lot of nothing. Not a zero zilch. Zero again. And you know what? We got to expect these games, people. If you're into the subject of UFOs, you got to play the game. You have to play the game and watch and filter the BS that is coming right at you. This is why in 2023, I am pushing for a couple of things because we don't need it anymore. To my audience and to everybody involved in ufology out there, there's two things we can do to start taking back this field that we love. Number one, stop calling UFOs UAP. That is a government term. We're not supporting the government here in regards to UFOs. Why? Because they're not supporting us. How do they support us? With information. They're not giving us any information. They don't want the public to have any information. They may talk a good, tough game. They may say, hey, we're dropping the gloves on this subject like a good old hockey fight. But it isn't happening. No, we're not getting the truth. We're not getting the truth on UFOs, USOs, because those terms are still extremely relevant. And we need to start countering with what they are telling us. Because they, whether it's the military-industrial complex, any alphabet agency, or government politicians who claim to want to know about this subject and the reels about it, they don't want us to know the truth because it all falls under national security, especially below the 49th parallel. The other thing that I want you to eliminate for conversation purposes in 2023 is disclosure. Remove that word from your UFO vocabulary. Get rid of it. Don't use it. It is garbage. Yes, I'm going to be a hypocrite here because I have to use the word due to the show that we run here. But ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between, there is no such thing as disclosure. Stephen Bassett and many others can talk about disclosure all they want. But my friends, there is no such thing. We're going to be calling it the confirmation from now on. You've heard me use that term for the last number of months, but that is what we are in. I had somebody in the UFO community ask me the other day, what do you mean by confirmation, Dave? I said, what the government has done is that they have confirmed that UFOs, not UAP, UFOs are here. They're around us. And we can do nothing about it because we don't know allegedly where they're coming from. So what I'm telling you is this. Disclosure is a dream term. Confirmation is what all the people, the suits, the military outfits are giving us when it comes to UFOs. They're confirming that there is something out there. 
Disclosure means give me everything. Disclosure means I want to know how many aliens survived the Roswell crash. Mr. Government and Mrs. Government, I want to know why you never bring up the crash at August, uh, pardon me, at San Augustine, which happened the exact same time as Roswell, where people like Stanton Friedman believe these two craft actually collided in midair. The government should know they've got the craft. I want to know where that video to the remainder of the Holloman Air Force Base incident is, where a UFO came down from the mountains and up from the sky and landed on the Holloman Air Force Base runway. There is tape allegedly out there that has been seen of aliens getting out of the craft and meeting with military officials. We want that video. There is eight seconds of it showing the craft coming down just before it touches the runway, and then that's all we get. I want to know what happened at Shag Harbor. I want to know what happened at Falcon Lake. I want to know the Aztec crash. I want to know Kecksburg. I want to know what happened. What was in the sky over Los Angeles in 1942? I want to know if Bob Lazar worked at Area 51. I want to know if Eisenhower really did meet with aliens and traded humans for technology. Yes, the Black Pandora's box of ufology is still remaining shut, which is why this is confirmation. Look at Lou Elizondo, a hero to many, a zero to others. Personally, I like the guy. But I want to know this. Why do we let him off the hook? Where at one point he's talking about being the face of disclosure and making this happen and working hard for the American and world public about bringing this story out to light. And then he takes a job with Space Force. About UFOs with an NDA where he can't speak about it. Sure, the guy deserves a paycheck. Everybody deserves to pay their mortgage and their vehicle payments and put some money away for retirement. That's allowed. That's allowed. But isn't that a little suspicious? Talking out of both sides of your mouth? Chris Mellon, the same way. I want to know why Avi Loeb has gone silent on Galileo. I want to know what this billionaire is all about for the Enigma group that now wants to become the secondary MUFON. I want to know why Dave McDonald at MUFON is so hell-bent about getting government support for MUFON and being part of the government story. Aren't you supposed to be the voice of the people? People who are listening to this, I will say this. We can take things over. I don't know if there will ever be a UFO watchdog group out there that could actually explain to us laymen what is going on truthfully. I hope that one day there is. If I got to find the people to do it, maybe I will. It's going to take a lot more work than I have time for right now. But we can all get it started. We, We can all get the ball rolling on what we need to do. And it starts with you, and it starts with me. 
Therefore, let's make 2023 the year where we eliminate the word disclosure, we eliminate the word UAP, and we start talking about this subject the way we should. UFOs, extraterrestrials, aliens, and confirmation. Imagine how much stress that'll take off you. All right? Imagine how much more understanding the conversation goes. Don't buy into the theory, well, UFO is very subjective because it could be absolutely anything, you know, and uh, anything could be an unidentified flying object, and it sounds so childish. We've been using this term for 60 years, but Hillary told us in 2015 it's now UAP, so we got to use UAP. No. No. It doesn't have to change. Look, you can call me a dinosaur all you want on these old school terms, or call me a rebel for trying to bring them back or call me a boomer for being old school ufology, even though I don't even qualify for that right now, but nicknames are nicknames and sometimes you got to put up with them. But the idea behind it is this. If we don't as the public put our foot down and say enough is enough Until the truth comes out, the real truth, not the government truth, but the real truth of what they know and governments around the world know about this subject, we're never going to get where we need to go. There is no way in hell the government will ever allow us to know their secrets. And when I say government, I mean the U.S. government. The Canadian government will do their thing. The UK government will do theirs. The Germans, the French, the Spaniards, the Australians will do theirs. So will Russia, China, Japan, India, Pakistan, Mongolia, you name it. They'll all do their own thing. But for us here, where we have control of it, in North America, where we are broadcasting to thousands upon thousands of people each and every night, my goal for you is to help bring you the truth of what's going on. Truth is a subjective word in this field. I understand that. And a lot of podcasters, a lot of YouTubers use the word truth and throw it around like it's a dirty napkin. Not here. Not here. We're different. Why are we different? Because we let the information do the talking. We're not here for aha, gotcha moments. Okay, where we take one sentence from a full page of words and focus on whatever it means on how you delivered it. No, we're not doing that. We're looking at the facts. The facts are this. Disclosure is not happening. It's confirmation. And the word UFO leads to people who are actually trying to study this subject. UAP is a government term to throw us off. That's where we need to go. That's where we need to stand. And that's where we need to be, holding hands, working with one another to get to the bottom of these stories. Because we already know there's no such thing as evidence because photographs can be Photoshopped, videos can be edited and added with CGI. 
All we have is the truth about anecdotal stories. And those keep piling up, piling up as more people get more confident to tell their stories about UFOs. Think about that. Do yourself the favor. Join the team, join the bandwagon, and stop with disclosure and stop with UAP. Bring this subject back to where it needs to be. And that is a people's front on trying to find out what is going on on Earth and in our universe. And that is your Dave 101 for this week. If you have a comment, concern, rant, or you don't want to agree with me, do it all. Make a comment down below. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to read what you have to say because I'm very interested. I'm very interested. I'm always interested in what our public has to say. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's get to the news. What time is it? It's time for Shirky Poo's News! All right. Time Magazine has taken a few hits right now. They were relentlessly mocked after it published a piece claiming exercise is racist and now part of a white supremacy plot. The White Supremacist Origins of Exercise asks, how did U.S. exercise trends go from reinforcing white supremacy to celebrating Richard Simmons? The article featured an interview with progressive private school teacher Natalia Melman Petrezla, I butchered her last name, anyways, who claims the pastime began in the early 1900s when white Americans eager to strengthen their race amid the abolition of slavery and increasing immigration, Petrozella was disappointed to discover while researching her upcoming book, Fit Nation, The Gains and Pains of America's Exercise Obsession, the fitness enthusiasts in the early 20th century who wanted to get rid of corsets because it was an assault on women's form weren't as progressive as they seem. They are saying white women should start building up their strength because we need more white babies, apparently. Yep, they're writing during an incredible amount of immigration soon after enslaved people have been emancipated, Petrozella continued. This is totally part of the white supremacy project. Petrozella also spoke about the history of other popular workouts, including described as an equalizer because it's something anyone can do and hardly any gear is required. It's important to point out that Access was never totally equal if you lived in a neighborhood that didn't have safe streets or streets that were not well lit, she clarified. Women were catcalled. People of color were thought to be committing crime. She added that running is for everybody discourse still quite often leaves out the fact that depending on where you live and the body that you live in, it could be a very different kind of experience. The headline is so ridiculous, yet its intention to promote division and hate is promoted by time, one person wrote. A second person wrote, wow, there is nothing more. There is nothing at your company that even reminds me of legitimate news anymore, adding sarcastically, running is definitely racist. That's why the best sprinters and distance runners around the world are consistently black. Another pondered, I, wor I worked out at the gym today next to some African-American guys who were hitting the weights pretty hard. Who knew that they were actually practicing white supremacy? Yeah, this is journalism today. Journalism. 
A Houston woman didn't take well to her firing, and now there's a warrant out for Keisha Lynette Christmas for allegedly abducting her manager at a Smoothie King, according to charges. It is alleged Christmas went to the store on December 13th to pick up her paycheck with her 15-year-old daughter. Another employee told Christmas she was fired while the manager was temporarily away, and Christmas apparently did not like the news. She allegedly began yelling and went behind the register to steal money. Once the manager arrived and gave Christmas her check, the scene continued. She allegedly grabbed the manager's neck and began slamming her head into a wall. You're not going to ruin my Christmas, Christmas allegedly said, according to the charging documents, while allegedly slapping and choking her manager. Witnesses claim the 15-year-old was screaming at their mother to let the victim go. Yeah, Merry Christmas. There's winding up in proverbial dog houses, and then there is this. I'd hate to be this husband. I, you know, <clears throat> this guy, he's got a lifetime of punishment coming. A man in Thailand has found himself in serious heat with his wife. Why? Well, let's just say that the wife went on a road trip with the hubby on Christmas Day. And while she was in the washroom at this local park, He accidentally forgot about her and drove away. Yeah. Boom Tom Chaymoon, 55, and his wife Amnue were driving through the night trying to spend some time in her hometown, the province that she was heading to, that she grew up in. All was rosy. All was right. Till about 3 a.m. when Boom Tom decided to pull over to relieve himself. Yeah. Wife did as well. Problem is he got back in the car. And she wasn't there. The wife had to walk 12 miles before she caught up with him to say, hey, uh, did you forget something back there? And he's like, what? Like me? Yeah. Police were called, and it turned out that it was a complete accident. But I think old Boom Tom there, he's going to be kissing his wife's butt for a long, long time. And finally tonight... Being a cop can be a difficult job. It can also be an incredibly easy one if your customers aren't high enough. Yeah, two drug traffickers traveling through Texas had a bit of a Christmas disaster after they called local police on 911 asking for help. Turned out due to them being so high that they imagined somebody was following them. Once the cops showed up, the calm guys to calm the fears of these guys and sent them on their merry way. No, they were arrested by carrying over 100 pounds of weed, and the two were taken off to jail. That is your news for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning us on in. For that, thank you to everybody listening to the Dave 101, Super Duke on the Cryptid Report, Swamp Dweller, and, of course, our guest tonight, Jack Roth. What a great, great night of radio. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody listening in at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. YouTube, Twitch, LGAP, Facebook, Spreaker, LinkedIn, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at hashtag Spaced Out Radio. I know you're out there somewhere.
Remember, this show is copyright by Spaced Out Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us, because together, my friends, make a mistake. We're watching. We own the night, Mister Bumblefoot. We need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Woo train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.